Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. The Browns lose. I decided not to do the show yesterday. That's what I got <laughs> accused of yesterday. So there's that. Welcome in, everybody. The drive, the fumble, the touchback. We welcome you into the Justin Kinder Show with Kevin Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. I hope everyone had a great weekend. Um, hope everyone enjoyed their day off yesterday. We're right back at it today. Happy Tuesday. Plenty to dive into. NFL playoffs continue. College football season over, but a lot of interesting things happening happening at Ohio State right now with a lot of some surprise announcements um, and some departures uh, that are going to hurt slash also help Ohio State moving forward. Kevin and I will dive into that as we open things up. We're going to actually open up with the Browns reaction. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals offseason, we can now transition into that to give that more attention. We'll talk some college basketball, Cincinnati Reds. I mean, we're we're right now at the point of the year, Kev, where everything officially opens up because it's just a bunch of things combined right now as we are officially rolling. And again, I hope you had a couple days, a good couple days off, Kev. I'm sure you had a good uh, Sunday. Oh, uh, no, no, no. I'm not one of those people. That I heard you howling, team. cackling, <laughs> laughing from miles away. No, man. It was a real good game, man. I w- I'm only here for entertainment purposes once my team is out of it. I just want to be entertained and want to have a good game. And that that's what we got on Sunday. And that is what we did have on Sunday. And there was a certain point. See, this is why, by the way, this is why I like being a fan of bad teams. Is because <laughs> Excuse me? Because the feeling I had on Sunday was a feeling... That I don't like feeling. It's that anger. It's that anger I had. Like Ohio State in the playoffs drives me nuts when they lose. Hold the on, Browns hold on, hold on, hold on. lose. I'm sorry. Me- I'm sorry. I gotta interrupt you, man. We got we got to do this once and once and for all. You're a fan of bad teams, so you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns. Overall, for the last 20 years, they've been bad. Yep. You're a fan of who in the NBA? The NBA. I'm, I told you before, Lakers, but not necessarily. I'm not like a diehard Laker. That's my team that I t- choose to watch. But like, I'm a LeBron fan. Like, I follow players more than I follow teams in the NBA. So you're 31 years old, right? Yeah. So they've won two, four. They've won five championships in your lifetime. I mean, but you're dissecting this too deep. Like, hear me <laughs> out. Like with the Browns, it's there's a certain point of the season where you just accept, okay. They had some fun games. They won a few, but they're not in the play. Then they make the playoffs. And then you're like, oh, you know what? They at least made the playoffs. Who cares? Uh, then they beat Pittsburgh. I'm like, well, damn. They 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 beat Pittsburgh. They, they could beat Kansas City. They could beat Kansas City. Score a lot closer than what the game actually felt. A lot of weird things happening in that game that we're going to, of course, get into. But the Cleveland Browns go down at the hands of the Kansas City Chiefs 22-17. Here's what I don't want to hear on today's show. I don't want to hear a word about the touchback rule. Uh, yes, it's a dumb rule, but it's a rule. And if there was ever a perfect, if there was ever footage of the perfect example of what that rule is, that was the Cleveland Browns uh, in that unfortunately timed um, situation of that game. You know, it stinks. That totally would have changed the the not the outcome, possibly the outcome. It would have changed the the drive of that game, the momentum of that game. But man, I just thought about this as I was fending off people on social media left and right, taking the heat left and right. Then I thought about, it, I'm like, you know what? I'm not even mad. I got to a certain point in that game where I'm like, this was just freaking cool. Mm-hmm. Like I, For a second, I bought into, oh, man, Cleveland's about to do this. They're about to punch their damn ticket to the AFC title game. Like We're literally about to be, I, I'm a few moments away from potentially talking about Cleveland being a game away from a Super Bowl. Like that. That's where I was at a certain point in that game this past weekend. And then things, you know, reality kicked in, and it's like, hey, stop, they're the Browns, quit it. No, but in all seriousness, like, that's why, you know, as people are coming at me left and right, I'm like, you know what, I don't, I don't care. 
I don't care about the issues within the game. I don't, you know, I'm not a fan of how the defense looks. I don't think any Browns fan is. I'm not a fan that the, you know, that, that Kevin Stefanski, who has called a brilliant, uh, a brilliant season, um, I, I thought he approached this very weird. I, I thought he approached this differently. So I'm not a huge fan of how they approached that. I mean, I don't think they ran the ball enough, to be honest with you. Now, you can't argue that, okay, it's kind of hard to throw or to run the ball so much and dictate tempo when you're down and you're trying to stay in it. I get that mindset as well, but there were just certain times where it's not that you need to run more, it's when you run. Why are you dropping back to pass on first and ten? Because once you drop back to pass on first and ten and then it's incomplete or you you know get a little screen pass, you pick up two or three yards, then you gotta continue to pass the next two downs because you don't want to have a quick three and out. So I get all of that. Um, you know, it makes sense. But the bottom line is is at the end of the day, the Cleveland Browns literally we're a quarter away from getting to the AFC title game. They are just a few years removed from being 0-16. A season removed from being told that you have a bust at quarterback, uh, a roster that was a bust, and that the Cleveland Browns were going to have to scrap it and start all over again. We are literally a year removed from that. And the fact that right now, when you look at all the teams in the AFC North, yes, you can feel slightly positive about the direction of the Bengals, but still, until they actually do it, I'm not going to give them any credit. The, the only organization that looks like they are on the right path moving forward is the Cleveland Browns out of that division. There's so many question marks in Pittsburgh. They'll get the benefit of the doubt because it's an organization that has traditionally and historically made the right decisions. The Ravens are who the Ravens are. Uh, you, you know, they're a good regular season team. I don't believe they have the offense to make it work. I picked the Ravens, too. I tried to. I went with Lamar Jackson. I had faith in Lamar Jackson. It didn't work. I, I felt good about all those things. Uh, and then you have Cincinnati, who I think has, you know, they have Joe Burrow. They have some young weapons. They have another high draft pick coming up. What they do with that, we'll see. But out of all the teams, the only team that looks like they are a lot further ahead of others in regards to the you know where they're going, the Cleveland Browns. That offense is set. That offense is good. They're going to focus on that defense, and you fine-tune that defense just slightly, you're still looking at a 12-win team potentially again and another trip to the playoffs next year, possibly fighting for the division title. So I feel good about the Cleveland Browns. No one is going to say anything that is going to upset me today. If you want to feel a certain way about Baker, Cav looks at that like challenge accepted as he looks into the camera. <laughs> I just feel really good. I mean, the fact that here we are having an argument about, man, your team looked like trash in the playoffs. Uh, two years ago, everyone told me I was crazy for thinking that Baker and this Browns team could get to the playoffs. So I feel pretty good about that game. I, I It sucks. I think you're always going to look back at that and say, man, you had a chance to win. Chad Henney Henny was in the game. Henny was in the game. And you let him run, what was it, 15-plus yards for the first down, and then he completes that big pass late in that game when you were trying to force the punt. So many things happen that are, those guys aren't going to sleep well at night re-imaging those things in their heads. But at the end of the day, Cleveland was in the playoffs. The Browns were in the playoffs. They competed in the playoffs, and that's all you can ask for. You got knocked out by the Chiefs. I'll take that. I'll take that over being knocked out by a bad Steelers team or anyone else that could have been knocked out by. So I feel pretty good. Go ahead. Try to upset me today, Kev. I dare you. I'm not trying to upset you, I took you, two man. blood pressure pills today. I feel I, pretty good. I never try to upset you. I just state my opinion. First off, of your opinion, man. We have a good conversation about lots of sports, man. You and I were talking off the mic before we the show started, and we differ on how the Browns defense played. You think the Browns defense was terrible. Or Everyone does, except you, but that's fine. <laughs> I personally think that the Browns' defense was the best unit on the field. Uh, if someone to tell told either of us that the Browns' defense was going to hold Kansas City to 22 points, everybody would have thought the Browns won. When you hold a team to four field goals attempts and the kicker misses one, so they only make three field goal, three of their four field goals, and you knock the best quarterback in the league out the game, 
for a quarter and a half, I mean, you did your job as a defense. I mean, let's be perfectly clear. This is the NFL. Defenses are trying to knock people out. Mm -hmm. They knocked Mahomes out the game. He's out the game. They held them to multiple field goals. Yes, you can drive in between the 20s, and much like we talked about with the Ohio State-Bama game, it's going to come down to opportunistic stops and getting them off the field and stopping them from scoring touchdowns. Obviously, the Buckeyes did not do that, but the Browns did their job. The Browns' defense did their job. For a team like the Cleveland Browns, especially offensively, where they had the most 40-point scoring games this season, I was expecting them to put up more points than them than that on offense. That's where I'm at with it. I thought the Browns' defense was pretty much outstanding, to be perfectly honest. Outside, outstanding? Yes. Oh, yes. Forget the blood pressure Outs- pill. No one, you <laughs> are the only person at all that outside, has ever said anything out, crazy like the, that the before two, about the Browns' defense. Out, outside of the third and 13 where Henny scrambles for 12 to put them in a position to go for it on fourth and one, that's the only play that I can look at the Browns and say, man, what are you doing? Outside of that, I think they did their job. Like, I, I can't see where people could be upset with them at all. I mean, much like you talked about with Ohio State's defense, Ohio State's been giving up points left and right all season. So them to give up a ton of points to Alabama was to be expected. We both predicted that the game was going to be played in the 30s with the Browns in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. They held them down to 22 points. The Browns' defense did that. There wasn't any mistakes that was made by Kansas City. The Browns' defense had multiple stops, stopped them inside the red zone, forcing them to kick field goals, caused turnovers. I got to give the Browns' defense a lot of credit, more than you're going to give them. I ain't going to give them SH anything. Listen, Dump that's button. what that defense was. I know they held him to 22 points, but literally every every analyst, everyone that has dissected that game talked about how poor the defense was because literally Tennessee, or Tennessee, holy smokes, Kansas City moved that ball up and down the field. I mean, the Browns didn't play deep. They reacted to anything that the Chiefs wanted to do. Uh, I look at the Chiefs more of making their own mistakes versus the Browns forcing them to make mistakes. I am kind of amazed, too, when you look up at the fact that they only gave up 22 because it felt like they were just being blown out of that game. And there were certain scenarios, and by the way, if Patrick Mahomes doesn't go out by that, I, I was making fun of that line. I was like, there's no way the Kansas City Chiefs are a double, you know, 10 points better than the Cleveland Browns. But I said, but that defense is why they would be, and if Patrick Mahomes doesn't go out, they're getting blitzed. They're probably giving up 50. That's where that game was headed. That's where that game was headed. Every show, every analyst I've watched and heard for the last two days, that is exactly what they have said as well. That's I don't why I'm glad I don't, li- I don't listen to analysts. I watch you with my own eyes and I make well, my you get, evaluation. You get your eyes checked. I get you I some make, glasses. I, I make my own mind. evaluation. I'm not worried about what the talking heads on this network say or that network say. I've been watching football just as long as them people and I see it a total different way. I see that the Browns defense Caught, stopped on third downs, tackle stopped. people. Yes, they stopped them when they're inside the red zone when they're trying to score a touchdown. That's the that's the name of the game. Stopped them before they crossed that white line. See, that, you're, you're the white line. And I the, to, Mahomes was moving the ball at will, Kev. Come yeah, on. See, yeah, you, but they didn't, they didn't cross the plane. Unless you cross, see, when you cross the plane, you get six points. When you stop them, oh, you wow. force them this to take it through these things. One with Kev Nash, that gives you three points. Three points is less than six, so I think the Browns did their job because three would, points is yes, less than six. So we're yes. going to talk to everyone like we're stupid. You're I'm gonna, just you're saying, be a smart I'm, ass. I'm, I'm, okay. No, it's not. It, it is. It's okay. simple. It's simple. Like I don't think that anybody out there thought that the Browns' defense was going to hold them below thirty points, which they did. I think we look at it the same way we looked at Ohio State. Bama game, the, like we both agreed that the Ohio State offense didn't do their part. I think the Browns' offense didn't do their part. 
Look, the offense, yes, did not look absolutely sexy, but also the Chiefs' defense did play really well as well. Why we're going to act like the de- Chiefs' defense didn't play well is beyond I me. I didn't say that. Uh, but you did, but but the way you're wording it is, no, I, is like, I, I know what you're doing that. when you're trying to transition this, to blame the offense. I'm not Baker blaming. Mayfield. No, no, no. You're, you're worried no, about what you're worried. You think you're about other doing these say. stupid-ass math no, lessons like, oh, three is less than six. Oh, oh, oh. This is, you know, like you're... That, that's what straight. happened. That's oh, what happened man. in the game. They stopped them from scoring touchdowns, and they hurt their quarterback, which is part of the game. That The Browns' defense did their part. The Browns played defensively well enough to win the game. The Browns' defense is why they lost the game. No, the offense is why. Uh, my eyes. I was watching a backup quarterback come in and literally, Chad Henney, run for 15-plus yards for a first down. The, throw the for a first down to end the game. The, the backup, backup quarterback came in The backup in quarterback the in the game, he only scored three points. I don't give a SH or whatever. Point is, is he's the one that literally moved the ball at will in the Browns' defense. Kept that clock going. The Browns didn't stop anybody. I don't care. The Browns lost. So when the, when the best quarterback in the league was on the field, they stopped them several times from scoring touchdowns. They they put First of all, they put 19 points up in the first half. They didn't stop anything. Yeah, they were inside he, the, by the red way, zone, he, and they didn't by score the way, touchdowns. He, he repeats that performance, and they win by 20. But guess what? Guess what? The defense knocked them out the game, and that's part of football. They knocked okay. them out. And when Wright State, or Wright State, I was reading this Q thing right here. Sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, I was reading this Q right here. Sorry, but when the Cleveland Browns, you know, had opportunities to get key stops, they couldn't get key stops. They allowed the clock to keep moving. You let, you literally let Chad Henney win that game. Chad Henney won that game for the for the Kansas City Chiefs because the Browns' defense is garbage. It is. It, it, it is. I, I don't get it. I'm not even trying to get a shout. I think, I think, I think they did. I think the Browns' defense did enough to win. They did enough to win. I'll give you that, but they they still are the reason they lost. Like that defense. I mean, you. How do you let him run on you like that towards the end? That's on the defense. That, and that well, wasn't let, like, that was like Lamar Jackson made that play. It wasn't like any you know athletic quarterback made that. We're talking about Chad Henney, who could barely move in the pocket, made that play. I mean, it, nobody saw that coming. Like uh, we, I, I, I did. did. I'm like, we're still screwed. We ain't gonna get this stop. Like I, every, I, every Browns fan out there. No, nobody saw that coming. Chad Henney ain't moved that much since his freshman year at Michigan. First so. of all, we can stop this <laughs> argument. You want to know why you're wrong? You want to know? Oh, boy. Because Shaw says he agrees with you, Kev. That's exactly why you should know right there. The second that Shaw agrees with you, you should know you are wrong. All right. Uh, and then Chris uh, Schlopp says, if you can't score more than 22 points, you deserve to lose. Normally, I would give that some kind of attention, but because all you like to do is find reasons to crap all over the Browns, Chris, I'm just going to move on from that comment. Uh, David Shaw says, no, because your head coach was a coward and didn't go for it at 4.30 on the clock. In no, the no. It was, it was fourth and eight. You punt that. So, and by the I didn't have a problem with punting that, too, because you should have enough faith in your defense to be able to get a stop against freaking Henny. It's fourth and eight. You punt the ball. That's what you do. You punt the ball. That was a smart move. They just didn't come through. I mean, that type of thing happens. I mean, this is, draws a lot of parallels to a lot of other games. Uh, several, I think it was two screen passes where Nick Chubb dropped them. Dropped yeah. two, two screen passes. It was like passes. watching the, the Clemson the gate. game from last year yeah. for Ohio State. It was J.K. Dobbins all over again. He definitely would have been out the gate. Like I'm, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to put this on Baker. I'm just saying that, you know, there's instances where – those two drop screen passes by Nick Chubb. There's other plays throughout the game where they didn't do anything on offense. Um, you know, I know people are going to talk about Baker's interception. Well, guess what? The defense forced a punt on off of that interception. There was no points put on the board. So those type of things, everything happens for a reason. Everything has a cause and effect. 
I know a lot of people are talking about the touchback and everything like that. I give you that. That's that's a rough call. That's definitely a rough call. It's multiple rough situations with that. The the ball going out the end zone for the touchback, the hit to the helmet and everything like that. And you know us being Buckeye fans, you know the first thing we go to is Deshaun Wade play versus Clemson two years ago. So you know everybody was losing their stuff about that. So I get it, man. Like, but like I always say, man, all these plays that happen you still have an opportunity to win the game. And the Browns still have multiple chances to win the game. So it was just a good game, man. Yeah, at the end of the day, as once my anger kind of like calmed down after, I'm like, dude, that was cool. Like, that was cool. Like, that, like I'm mad that it's over. But I think what I'm always, my biggest takeaway from that game is always going to be the Browns squandered an opportunity. It's not often when you run into, um, when you run into a team like Kansas City and have their quarterback be out for an entire half. And you're within striking distance. Mm-hmm. Like that, I'm always going to look back at and say, man, you had your shot. And they blew it. Um, the offense was not as explosive as I counted on them to be. You know, it's strange uh, because I'm not doing this because I'm a, you know, big Baker Mayfield fan. I didn't think he had a great game, but I don't think he had a bad game either. Like I thought he made, he made some throws um, on the move. I thought he made some throws in the pocket. He connected with some guys down the field that I was like, man, those are some good ass throws. Like he, like the, di- the difference between Baker and Mahomes throws were every completion that Baker made, there was a defensive back on the tail of the receiver. Like there was no, the, the most wide open receivers he had were those Nick Chubb drops. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Baker was making tough throws and tough pockets, and he won't get credit for that because, bottom line, people were just waiting for Baker to make a mistake. He throws an interception, which, you know, you can't throw interceptions, but it's a second interception in two months. I, You know, whatever. It is what it is. Bottom line is, is I expected more from the offense. Kareem Hunt, only six carries, only 13 carries for Nick Chubb. I just thought that that should have been, more, you know, higher. But I do understand those that say, well, listen, if you look at the fact that they're behind, it's to run. But as I said earlier, just to repeat this one more time, it's not the carries necessarily, but it's the timing in which Stefanski went to the run. Why would you not run on first and ten every time Kev just set the tone for that drive? He dropped back. They went back and did a chart. I think they had like 12 first downs, and on, t- and on two of those first downs, they handed the ball off. On the other ten, they dropped back. Like, I would, I would like that to was see, my problem. I would like to see if they have a breakdown of those first down plays or play action because on first down, those are good passing downs because they have to respect both the run and the pass. So if their play action passes off of that, I have no problem with it. If they're straight dropbacks, then I would see somebody's point. Back to your point about the way Baker Mayfield played, I think he played great. I mean, what, what else? I'm hesitant. I'm afraid. You got you people have me afraid. Every time I want to compliment Baker, I'm always like, I'm going to get hit with something. And I, you know, I'm trying I think, to keep my I, blood pressure under control today. I, I think he played. I think he played great football. I mean, he executed what he was asked to do. He didn't drop the two screen passes. If he catches one of those screen passes, that's at least. 20 extra yards, an extra completion. Who knows? The way Nick Chubb runs, maybe he busts one out the gate and scores a touchdown off that. We don't know that. But what we do know is Nick Chubb dropped the dropped two passes. That would have been big yardage gains for the Browns. I think Baker Mayfield played pretty good football. Outside of, I would say he played second best over the weekend next to Aaron Rodgers. Out of all the quarterbacks that played, like, I mean, and I like that drive they had in that second half. The one, look, they ended up. My problem is that one that they punted on that people are criticizing about. Like Baker, that that offense needed to deliver there. Like you got that interception, momentum was in your favor. Like I thought they were going to come right back, march right back down the field. And I think that once Kansas City got that stop, like so, the Browns score. 
to make mm-hmm. it twenty two sixteen. Then Henny throws that intercept. What was it? Twenty two seventeen. What did I say? Sixteen. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Twenty two seventeen. Then Henny throws that interception, and right. then that's when I was like, "That." So remember when I said earlier, I'm like, "Oh my God, they're going to do this." Like I was trying to convince myself, "Just be happy they're here. Don't get too caught up in this." You know, I do that at the NCAA tournament. <laughs> like you know, like when when Wright State, who I love Wright State, when they made it a few years ago, I was like, "Listen, I'm gonna. I can't emotionally let myself buy into that they're going to pull an upset. I got to just accept the fact that this is cool that they're here." And I made a mistake if they can. No, they could do it. Then they get blown out, and then I'm ticked off for that whole weekend. It just it never fails. So I did it with the Browns. I'm like, just be happy they're here. Do not, do not, do not emotionally invest into this. Do not. And I did it. And then when they got that interception, Kev, and the Browns get the ball back, I'm like, oh, my goodness, here, here they go. They're, they're about to go right down the field and make this a 24-22 game. Like, holy smokes. They're going to do this. And then they punted. And I just thought it was a very anticlimactic way to end a game that just everyone believed the Browns were going to pull it off, especially when Patrick Mahomes left, Kev. Like, that's that, that's where this was headed. It, it was it was a fun game. Um, the, I mean, it, it, it could have gone, it could have been worse. Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes stays in, I'm not going to lie to you. That's probably a 20-plus point, 21, 30-point blowout. I mean, that's where I felt that that was heading, unfortunately. I do, I do want to remind people of something. Yep. So, on that last drive, when the Browns' last drive, when they get the interception in the end zone, so they got four plays right here. So they go for it on fourth and one from their own 29. So I don't understand how people are saying that Stefanski doesn't have a pair. They went for it on fourth and one from their own 29. Because if they get stopped there, it's game, game time. Yep. So then they uh, drive the ball a little bit more. They end up punting because they come up with like a, a fourth and nine. Like that's that's good football. You drive it out to the uh, 50, basically. You punt it. You hope to get it back with a short field. Like you talked about with the defense, they didn't come through. They gave up a scramble to Chad Henney on third and 13. He picked up 12, which enabled them to go for it on fourth and one to win the game. So the the Spansky didn't have a pair on him. I totally disagree. He played, he played it how he plays it all season. On those fourth and ones, he's going for it. That's just too many yards to try to pick up on a fourth and nine. It wasn't it's a fourth and nine. short. Yeah, yeah. If it, and that's if a it's, lot of time if, left. Like if it's you, a fourth you know. and two, you probably he's probably going to go for it. But a fourth and nine, I don't think any coach out there is going. And they're at the thirty-two. Yeah, like that's 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 not safe football. No, I agree with you on that. By the way, Schrody says, cherish it, Kenner. The Titans were one game away last year, and they were one and done this year with a team that was better besides you know the defense. That's what I'm saying is I think that like right now I'm convincing myself, oh, they're going to. They have plenty more years to do this. I think the Titans thought that too, and they got to the AFC title game. Dan Marino said the same thing about the Super Bowl. It's just one of those you never know what can happen. I mean, hell, let's be honest, things change so quickly. The Houston Texans signed Deshaun Watson to the second highest paid quarterback contract in the history of the league. They felt that they that was the start to something right now. They don't know who their quarterback's going to be. They don't know who their head coach is going to be. It's not. It's, they, they look like the worst organization in football right now. They are the least desirable job. You want to talk about potential landing spots? Uh, you know, for the for head coaches and for the offense uh, for Bienemy, the offensive coordinator w- with the Chiefs. To me, being the OC with the Chiefs is a million times better job than being the head coach of the Texans right now, with or without Deshaun Watson. And that is not a shot against him. It's just not a good opportunity. Things change quickly. David Baker on Facebook says the biggest problem with the Browns' defense is their. Last Lack of contain on the ends, especially Garrett's side. Kansas City continuously exploited the ends. Abs- I mean, 
I know what you're saying about the points. I know exactly what you're saying. And if I was probably critiquing any other team, <laughs> I would probably give that to you. Because the problem is, is when I want Kev, the Chiefs move the ball well. Every complaint, I keep, we keep bringing the parallels of the national title game in. Like, the biggest complaint about the Buckeyes was like, Bama's not even earning these yards. They're, they're literally wide open every what time. And that's what the Chiefs are doing to the Browns. So it's that type of thing where it's like, man, they didn't even look tired. They were just marching the ball down the field at will. It was They didn't even have to earn any of those yards. And that's not a shot at them because they're that good. But I'm like, if they're that good, make it more difficult. But that just shows you the schemes that they run. Like, I'm just not a big fan. I think Cleveland's close to something with what they have in the defensive end. But linebackers are bad. Secondary, they need to button up. I love Denzel Ward, but that cat can't stay healthy, man. Like, he cannot stay on the field. And even when he is... If he's on the field, it's usually his first game back after missing a few weeks, and he's never able to get in any kind of rhythm. It drives me up the, uh, up the wall as far as that goes. But Jason Campo says Stewart should have stayed instead. Should have stayed instead, not go double team on third on third and fourteen. When of course they were you know on the run. But let's be clear. I mean. Things break down. When it was the longer a play goes yeah. on, things break down. That was just typical Browns luck right there. Bad containment though, as far as keeping Henning in the pocket. Yeah, Claiborne's gotta stay out on the air. I mean I don't know, man. Look, it's Chad Henney. Yeah, rush up field. You're not expecting him to bust out the gate, man. You you attack a a, a quarterback like that who's a statuesque different than you attack a Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson or a Josh Allen. Like, you rush up the field, you try to sack the quarterback, you not. Like, yeah, it looks horrible. Yes, I can't make no excuse about that. It looks horrible. It's like, what is going on here? Because obviously the linebackers are dropping the coverage. Like, all right, we're going to protect this uh, 13 yards. So they're super out of there, and everybody turns their back because they're basically in man-to-man coverage, and the ends get upfield, and it just opens up for them. And as much as we want to talk about Chad Henney's old, Guess what? He's still an NFL quarterback, and he probably can outrun everybody that's listening to this program right now. It's just, it's like, wow, that just happened? And then what makes it worse is he didn't get the first down, so you're thinking like, oh, okay, now they're about to punt. But no, Andy Reid, like, no, nah, I'm not punting. By the way, that was a first down. Uh-uh. Sure. It, it looked like a first down. Like, I think the ball just had to, it, I don't care. It elbow down, wherever the ball is. When it don't See, I, re- I convinced myself it was a first down because <laughs> they ain't going to give us this call. And then I'm like, even if it's fourth and inches, we're still screwed. Did and you then th- it wasn't even a power play. So. Did you think they were going to snap it on that fourth and one? Uh, the, uh, the one that Tony Romo was like, they ain't going to do it. Yeah. They're going to call a timeout. I figured they were just because they the Browns haven't been able to stop them at all. I figured they were. Points-wise, yes, they stopped. But from a moving-the-ball standpoint, once the field shrunk, the red zone defense, and that, but see, that's where the secondary for Cleveland came into play. It's the defensive scheme, the way they run things, man. It, they, it's almost as if Cleveland runs a prevent the entire damn game. It's, it it's, drives me up the it's wall. It's very a la what Ohio State did in the national championship game. Keep everything, Keep everything in, in front, front of you. And, hey, Miles, go get a sack. Because that's basically what the defense is. Hey, Miles, go make a sack. We dropping everybody. He didn't play well the last. Like he didn't make a big splash against Pittsburgh either. Like he's been. I don't know if he's. He's got to be hurt. Like he got to be. He was dominating for the first 12, 13 weeks of the season, but for the past month and a half, been real quiet. Real quiet. All right, folks, it's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash right here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410 Wing AM. Kev, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines, 457-9464. That's the number you call. We'll get to your calls, your reaction. Browns, next. Hey, everybody, it's Stephen A. Smith, and everyone knows my feelings on Cowboys fans. But really, Justin Kinner, you're a Cowboys fan?
right, everybody, we welcome you back. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. Coming up in hour two, an hour from now, actually, at 4.30, we will hear from ESPN radio's Jason Fitz. Of course, we had that bet. That's another reason I was really ticked off that the Browns lost two, Kev. So we had a bet that if the Cleveland Browns would have beat the Chiefs, that we would have been invited to the, the NFL draft in Cleveland and uh, that you know steak dinner all mm. on the house, thanks to Jason Fitz. That's how confident he was that the Kansas City Chiefs were going to beat the Cleveland Browns. But i got to ask him just how he had to have gotten uncomfortable at a certain point in that game. <laughs> like, There's no way he wasn't sweating bullets just a little bit as far as that goes. But as he said, it wasn't a true bet, though. It was more of a confident I forgot even how he it wasn't a true bet because we didn't offer anything on our end. Like he would have got <laughs> nothing had it, you know, been reversed. So he gets something every week. He gets to hang out with us. Uh on Facebook again we're live on Facebook. Head to Facebook, search the Justin Kinner show. You'll find us there. Like and watch the show daily. You'll be able to interact with us. Leave your comments in the comment section. We pull your Facebook profile picture, your name and your comment into the show and we react with you live on the air. David Baker says that the Browns' defensive backfield gets better if Greedy Williams and Grant Delpit get healthy enough to contribute. Uh, it would be like getting two extra first-round draft picks, need another rush and a linebacker help uh, spend some money. And I'm glad you brought that up, David, because I looked it, looked it up before the show today because we're going to talk about Urban Meyer's situation with the Jaguars coming up. They have like $74 million in cap space. And I was curious where the Browns were. The Browns aren't terrible. They're like, I think, 12th in the in the NFL right now. They're going to have about $24 million to work with. It's not a lot, but... They they have flexibility. Like you, some teams are just stuck in the mud. Some teams, it's you have the draft to get better, and that's it. You have no flexibility. You're not going to be able to go get players. The Browns are going to be able to go get players. Some of it's going to be used for some extensions. I don't be surprised to hear the Baker Mayfield stuff be brought up early in the summer. I don't think they just hand it out quickly. Um, I think that the Browns are going to want to see another year of what Baker Mayfield's done before they they roll that out. Which mm. to mm-hmm. me, I've always criticized because here's why: Baker's played three years. If you take out that last season, and if you just take, for one, he threw a lot of touchdowns. If you take out the interceptions last season, Baker's been great these three years. He has a lot of flaws, don't get me wrong. I'm not comparing him to Patrick Mahomes or anything, but to act like he's not deserving of getting money, absolutely he is uh, deserving of getting money. My concern is that we could potentially see a fallout where, like I'm watching the Rams, like the Rams are having issues right now with their head coach, Sean McVay, and their quarterback, who they just gave an extension to after leading them to a Super Bowl a few years ago, and he hasn't been the same since. I always worry about that being Baker Mayfield, if that's the case, but Baker just has a drive to win and a drive to to play the game. Like he, like his personality fits this team perfectly. Like I, that's why I think he is the Cleveland Browns in regards to that that you know identity as far as that's concerned. The run game definitely. Don't get me wrong, but they were a true balance. Like as great as that run game was, they're not getting that to that point. You're not winning eleven games in the regular season with just that run game and, and very minimal quarterback play. You just weren't going to do that. They elevated their game the second Baker Mayfield's game finally opened up, and that's what our big arguments were about the middle of the season. But twenty two million dollars in cap space to spend this off season. It is weird seeing them like uh, pick. They have like the twenty sixth. Uh, they have the twenty sixth pick in the NFL draft, I believe, is what I saw earlier today. It's going to be weird not circling the top of the board, looking to see who they're going to take. But that's the thing about this is you can actually get really, really good players more at the back half. There are players that you know are going to make an immediate impact in the NFL, but you can't justify using a high first round draft pick on. Sometimes it's a little easier to pick at the back end. You could take more gambles at the back end of the draft than you can at the front. And that's why you see teams trade back. 
Because they'll say, oh, I really want that player, but you don't use your fourth overall pick on that player. You could trade back and get them later and get additional ones. I think the Browns will be okay. But, you know, I agree uh, with David with David Baker about that for sure. Delpy, you don't know what you get, though. Like, I'm not going to be a hypocrite here. That's why I didn't let the Bengals try to tell me that the offensive line is going to be great because they get Jonah Williams back this year. You knew nothing about Jonah Williams other than the hype coming out of college. Same thing with Delpit. I'm assuming he's going to address those needs, and I hope he does. But Denzel Ward has to stay healthy. I like, you know, Delpit coming in is going to be at Greedy Williams, too. The Browns are just getting healthier. That's how they can automatically get better. But they have $22 million in cap space. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. People are going to say I'm a hater. Be a hater. Do it. Do it. So, if people really think about it, both Grant Delpit and Greedy Williams, both LSU products, right? Yep. Both their best years were their sophomore years. Both of them are coming off major injuries. Like you just said, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to get out of those people. It like, sounds comforting. Yeah, don't yeah. Know. Like, oh, we gonna, it's like having two first-round picks. Well, guess what? You didn't draft either of those guys in the first round. So it's not like you had two first-round picks because they weren't drafted in the first round. Yep. Also, the Baker Mayfield thing. The Browns are up against it, and this is a very tough decision for the Cleveland Browns. And their fan base, for that matter. And I'll hit on some points that you talk about all the time. If Baker Mayfield takes another step, say they takes another step next season, if they don't pay him now, the price tag is going to go up. Good point. So, in my eyes, you might want to pay him now. Because the way Stefanski is calling games, the way that Baker Mayfield elevated during the season... You probably want to pay him now at a lower price than what you're going to have to pay him at next year. Because if he plays out of his mind again, oh, yeah, you're looking at $35 million a year for Baker Mayfield. And out of, out of his mind is just repeating what he did this year. All he has to do is do what he did this year. And I'm not talking about the middle of the year. I'm talking about this back half where he doesn't turn the ball over, throws for 270-plus yards a game, and throws for two to three touchdowns a game. That's like Patrick Mahomes is great. Yeah. You want that? You aspire to get that? Those guys aren't floating around out there. Baker is above is, is what That's you the aspire rate. to get. That's the going rate. So, now, it ain't even that. See, say he's exactly how he was last year, but those passes that he missed in the end zone to wide-open guys, he hits those now. So instead of at 26 touchdowns, he's at 32. Yep. The price is going to go up. So in turn, you're going to have to give up some things, those toys, those extra wide receivers that you pay big money for. Uh, the running back situation is going to have to change. The offensive line situation is going to have to change. So if I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, I'm thinking the beneficial thing to do is pay him now at a lower price. And then plus – if things don't go his way, things don't go to Cleveland Browns' way, you can get out of that contract a lot easier than you would a bigger contract in the future. Like what Houston's going through right now. Right. Like, that's that's why they're in trouble. Like, that's why Houston's in trouble. We'll get into that topic coming up here in a moment. But four five seven nine four six four. the other thing to look out for, Browns fans, what could be next on the horizon, a Nick Chubb holdout. Nick Chubb could hold out and want his money. Because Nick Chubb's looking at it and saying, man, Baker's going to want his money. I want my money. Miles Garrett already got his money. Denzel Ward's going to be asking for some money, too. And Kareem Hunt got his money. Now, we're not talking Kareem Hunt money on the same level as those guys, but Kareem Hunt's locked up for a couple. Nick Chubb's kind of in trouble because Nick Chubb's lost out on any kind of leverage in regards to, well, you need me because Kareem Hunt's not going to come back. Kareem Hunt's locked up for the next two or three years. Uh, Miles Garrett's locked up. Isn't his leverage the middle of the season where he was hurt? What up? Nick Chubbs, isn't that his leverage to say, hey, man, the, the offense wasn't clicking when I wasn't here? They, but they were winning without him. 
They don't, I'm not, look, I'm not even, I don't even like having this conversation because it's sounding like I'm saying they don't need him. But from a business standpoint, the running back, no matter how good Nick Chubb has been, the running back always gets the shaft when it comes to where we're going to allocate our dollars. Because of all the positions that are out there that is easily replaceable, the draft, the running back. I mean, look, you can get, you know, J.K. Dobbs, you can get good running backs who's already in the NFL. But you see my point, I'm using last year's draft is running backs just kept falling and falling. Not because they're not good, it's because, hey, we may not have. We need to take our linebacker now because there won't be a good linebacker in the next round. But there'll be two or three running backs we could take in the next round. Like that's where this is going to come from. Four five seven nine four six four. We got Bob in Riverside. Bob, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, guy. Hey, uh, and you know, just I, I want to hit on that frustration point. But before I hit that, you guys are talking about the Baker deal. Yep. The, the problem with that, Kevin, would be okay. Now you got all of these guys that you have to pay. You start taking people away, then the question is going to be: This is no knock on Baker, but then how good is Baker? So that's where the money comes at. How much are you willing to pay him? How much is he willing to take? That's the problem, you know, that everybody runs into when you get to this particular point. And then I want to hit on that frustration point. I totally understand what Justin is saying. You know, we don't get here that often. Bengals, Browns, we don't get – well, you got to take advantage of that. When you got a quarter and a half and you got Henny in there, I don't care what it is, man, you got to come out with a win on that situation. I know because as a Bengal fan – being in the playoffs six out of seven years, I'd say at least four of those years the Bengals were a better team. And every year, you know, they did something stupid, a stupid coaching play, an Andy Dalton play. And what did the Bengals always say? Well, you know what? We're good enough. We'll be back here next year. Yep. Well, guess what? Guess what? It's been five years. Remember the Pittsburgh game? We haven't recovered from that yet. And so I completely understand, Justin, when you get a break like that, and that was a break, you gotta some kind of way. You gotta win that. And one thing I will say defensively, I think overall the defense played pretty well. The only question I would have on that last play: How in the world did Tariq Hill get that open? You only needed a centimeter for a first down, and then he breaks out, and he's about five. He's about five six yards open. That's that's like what what were they? What was the play call on that? You got to be up on his face and not let him. You know, if they throw it over my head, guess what? Good luck to them. But you're not going to get something like that where you just you're that open. Hey, and look, and I can, I could see and, and keep in mind I could see if Patrick Mahomes was in the game at that point because you want Patrick Mahomes to throw everything in front of you. You don't want to give. But we're talking about Henny. I would have played up a lot tighter on everything at that point. But yeah, he was wide open. And then you have him shoving coaches on the side. I lost respect for him after that too. Like just so much. Damn, why you lost respect for him? Oh yeah, before they, I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm joking. There's the outside <laughs> stuff too when it comes to that. But, but no, man, like it was just no. To my point and to your point, it was just one of those where. I want to believe that they're set up to be back in the near future, but keep in mind, like anything, a wonky offseason, COVID. I mean, we're watching baseball teams uh, who fans who thought their teams were going to invest in the next year who are now looking at the ramifications of no fans in the stands for se- the season, and they're just unloading everything. I don't know what football's going to do. We're going to find out soon what football teams are going to, how they're going to start responding to the financial cuts due to COVID-19. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I completely understand that. Uh, you, you get frustrated when you have the opportunity and you don't take advantage of it. I know as a Bengal fan, we did that year after year after year, and it sucks. And it sucks. And you never promise tomorrow. You just never promise. All right, guys. Hey, take care, man. I appreciate the call. 
It's the Justin Kinner Show with Kev Nash taking your calls. Again, reaction to the Browns and Chiefs. We were off yesterday, so we're getting your day late reaction to everything. I'm bummed they lost. All right. I, I was, you know, being cocky about everything. You know, I, I had my joke. I said that that line was so bad. I couldn't believe that it was a 10 point line. I couldn't believe that the Browns were 10 point underdogs against the Chiefs. But you know what? Let's be clear. If Patrick Mahomes stays healthy, if Patrick Mahomes stays healthy in that game, they probably lose by 30. I felt like that game was on its way to really getting out of hand. But, Kev, I, I made fun of that 10-point line. I was like, the last time I saw a line that bad, Joe Burrow was lined up behind it. That's how <laughs> bad of a line I thought that was. But I think Vegas kind of knows what they're doing, and that's why Kenner, you know, only bets here and there because, you know, I don't have anything to show for it. Hey, but if you did bet, man, you would have came up, man. Especially they, they didn't you know, cover. They did not cover. They did not. <laughs> and I was really freaking out at a certain point in that game. Um more reaction here on Facebook. Vincent Waller says the Browns should pay Baker before the Bills pay Allen. If Allen gets paid first, uh, Baker will want more money than Allen, even though he isn't worth it. I don't know if it's not worth it, but uh, he makes a good point about, you know, right now those quarterbacks came in in the same draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Sam Darnold obviously hasn't done enough to even be put in that conversation of, oh, in, you know, in that category. Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson. Those three have been the face of that, that class. Lamar winning an MVP. Um, you know, and Lamar's been to three straight playoffs. He has a playoff win, MVP. Uh, you know, he's one of the most exciting players in the NFL. Josh Allen emerging onto the scene as a star this year. Baker, you know, building on the success from his rookie year, putting last year behind him and emerging as a star in the NFL as well. All of these quarterbacks are going to be demanding top dollar. It's just a matter of who's going to get it. I don't think Baker gets top dollar. I could see him getting around 30 mil. 30-32 going range. right for a, a capable starting quarterback yep. in the NFL. $30 million. And then you get to the 31s the 32s, the better you are. You know what I'm saying? So it's going to be somewhere between 29 and $32 million. Baker making the playoffs, yes, and winning a playoff game against this. There's some leverage there. I just think that the, the Browns are going to go to him, make an offer. He probably sits on it. I think he's going to count on it. No, like what you know about Baker, he's oh. probably going to ba- bet on himself that he's going to go out and just have a big year next year. But Browns fan, I'm hoping that the Browns get a deal with him this off season mm-hmm. for that 30 mil because you have so much cap flexibility moving forward after that. If he has a great year next year and then gets that 35 40, then you're screwed. I think Baker has too many limitations. I will say that he has too many limitations. And you have to give me this. <laughs> Everything I'm saying about Baker, I've said about Dak, where he has to have too much going right for him to be the guy to lead a team. Dak Prescott, I said that about in Dallas. That's why I did not want him to get that money because I'm like, look, if they give you that money, it's not that you're not worth it, but if they give you that money, they have less money to put weapons around you. And we've seen when you don't have a run game and you don't have receivers, you're not as effective. So you have a run game, you have receivers now because you're on a rookie deal, but the second that deal's done, those toys get taken away. That's what I'm concerned about. That's why Jared Goff looks the way he does. The second he got his money, they took weapons away. He doesn't have Todd Gurley. Okay, He doesn't have his star wide receivers, and he hasn't looked the same since well, then. Cooper Cup was one of his big-time guys who can't stay healthy now, and they gave him a contract extension in the offseason. But he's just not efficient. He's throwing interceptions. Oh, yeah. He's just not the guy that they initially thought they were giving the money to, but it's easier to look like that guy when you have everyone around But you. Their uh, offensive line was better, too. Yeah, that, now that's, the, that's the big point. But that's the going rate. Like, If you're a starting quarterback in the NFL, that's the rate. I don't think that the money is the necessary problem. I think the salary cap is the problem. Like we need flexibility of the salary cap. Like it shouldn't strap you because you pay your starting quarterback what he's deserved. Like it, it shouldn't. Like it's it's trying to set you up as a situation where like all right, you pay your starting quarterback and now you have nothing. Like that doesn't make sense. Like we drafted this guy. We want to reward him for doing good things for our, 
our organization. And if we do that, then we got to figure out a way to cut this guy and that guy. Like, I think it should be somewhere along the lines how the NBA does it like with their salary cap situation. If you draft a guy and you sign a guy, it doesn't count against your Incentives cap Incentives to much stay as, with yeah, your team. Yeah. yeah, like, so, like, just say, say for instance, Baker bets on himself next year and balls out of control, and then the Browns come back to him with a reasonable deal, but somebody else comes with a better deal and he walks. Then what? So you people are going to crap on Baker Mayfield for walking? No, they should have paid him when they had the chance. And Baker Mayfield deserved to be paid anywhere between twenty nine and thirty two million dollars. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL, a competent starting quarterback at that. Not scratch that, not competent, a good starting quarterback in the NFL. Eleven team, eleven wins in a regular season, beat the Steelers in the playoffs. Time to cough up that money, man. He deserved to get paid. All right, Baker Mayfield getting paid this offseason. Who are the highest top 10 quarterbacks paid in the NFL this season? We'll compare him and what he would bring to the table versus what they bring to the table, and we'll talk about that on the other side. We'll switch gears uh, to you know to Urban Meyer and Jacksonville coming up around the corner. Ohio State, by the way, getting a ton of returning players, some key players leaving. But all of a sudden, Ohio State's season next year, last week when Kevin and I had talked, we didn't know who was leaving, who was going. In hour two, we'll get into Ohio State. The puzzle's looking a little bit clearer now. The offense looks like it actually might be better next year, depending on one particular position, which we'll talk about uh, coming up in hour number two. We'll discuss more. But the top ten highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL today, Baker Mayfield, his payday is coming up. Does he deserve to be one of the highest-paid top ten quarterbacks in the NFL? Kevin, I discuss next. We are Davis home of the Ohio Justin Kenner, Kevin Nash, back with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. Well, it's interesting. We're just talking about cap space and everything along those lines. Well, Pro Football Talk just tweeted out that good news, the salary cap may not drop all the way to $175 million in 2021. The bad news is that it still may fall to $180 million, which will create a huge mess for many teams. A lot of teams may lose about $20 million in cap space, which, by the way, that's exactly how much money the Browns have to spend this offseason. So I'm sitting here saying all the th- things that they may have to rely on the draft. This draft is so important for that very reason. It's going to come down to that. It's going to come down to improvement by getting healthier. Delpit and those guys that we just talked about, Greedy Williams, uh, and and hoping you, you know that you know Denzel Ward can stay healthy. You know you, this is going to be an interesting off season because again, I'm sitting here looking at the available cap space, but that's as of right now, we haven't we don't even know what the cap hit's going to be for 2021 yet, and it sounds like it could be close to 180, which is going to be it's, it's, each team's going to have 20 million dollars less to spend now. At the, at the very least, I mean, look, the, the Jaguars will be in good shape because they're going to still have about 50 mil to spend. The Bengals have about, if I'm not mistaken, Kev, about 40, 40 to 50 in that range. So they'll be back around 30. I mean, again, I don't have the official numbers in front of me, just throwing out what I remember reading earlier today. Uh, but we'll keep an eye on that and how that's going to impact the teams heading into the offseason. So, of course, four five seven nine four six four. We're talking about, you know, Baker Mayfield. Now that we're heading into this offseason, the Browns have a tough decision. Not tough. But a shaky one of, do you start the early contract negotiations with Baker Mayfield? When you start those early contract negotiation or extension talks, what that does is, is that gives you a chance, as Kev said a little bit ago, you get to go in low. 
not low, but you get to go in and get him what seems to be high now, but will be considered low a year from now if Baker balls out in 2021. Baker is a very cocky individual, very a lot of self-confidence. He could look at this offer and say, you know what, I'm going to count on me improving again, and I'm going to count on me coming out and having an even bigger year, which is going to put me in position to ask for even more money. Now, what would that more money be? First of all, let me ask you this, Kev. The Browns should offer him what right now? For me, it's 30 mil. I think it's 30 mil. You've seen a really good rookie year, a really good third year, in a sophomore year that I believe showed more than you think in regards to, to me, Baker has to have a lot going right for him to be effective. And teams and owners and businesses alike, no matter what the business is, businesses like ours, the NFL, whatever, bosses want to know that when things get tight, if resources get cut, are you still going to be a valuable asset to the team? You know, we look at COVID as an example. How many of, in our industry especially, look at how many things got cut. Mm. We are bare bones here. We are doing everything we can, right? Like yeah. we have so many things that we, we are doing and using a million different things to put on this radio show every, every day. We're doing things differently than what we were a year ago. Assets were cut. You know, accessibility to things have been cut. Like, it is us and that's it, which is whatever. But the point is, bosses want to know, are these the kind of employees that we can count on when things go bad that they're going to still get the job done and come together as a team? And that's no, and that's you, listener, our listeners right now, whether you're sitting at home working from home, in your car, out and about running errands, at your job now, when we appreciate however you listen, by the way. Um, the bottom line is, is we all live in that world where do our bosses look at us and say, that guy, that gal can get it done when things get tight or when things are going well? There are some employees that only thrive when you have a company car and when you have, you know, when everything's going perfect. You know what I mean? Then there's those who, man, if it didn't go in their way, if things aren't fair for a week or two, they're not going to help you out at all. Unfortunately, that's Baker Mayfield, I think. Baker Mayfield needs that perfect offensive line. Baker Mayfield needs that perfect wide receiving core. He needs that perfect run game to be Baker Mayfield. He needs that perfect coach. The Aaron Rodgers, he he has been great even when the coach isn't right. He has been great when the receivers aren't right. He has been great. He drives me nuts. I'm not an Aaron Rodgers fan, but the greatness is there. Russell Wilson, I'll give him this. I judge quarterbacks by playoff wins and getting to Super Bowls and that type of thing. But overall, Russell Wilson is a guy that you don't have. He doesn't have to have the world to be a star quarterback in the league. Russell Wilson has made bad teams playoff teams. He's made bad teams good. I don't believe Baker Mayfield takes bad teams and makes them good, but I think he can take what you give him and work with it and make you a winner. It just depends what you give him. So my point is, is I think $30 million is a fair number to come in at. I don't think it should be any higher than that for right now. Now, if Baker comes in next year and builds on what he does and continues not turning the ball over and continues sharing the ball around the field and moving the ball up and down the field. And it's not that the Browns need to focus on not being a running team, but if he could be the Baker Mayfield from the last eight weeks, ten weeks of the season where it was run and pass, Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden he becomes a very important piece to the puzzle. $30 million is what I'd offer him. If he wants to count on himself or gamble on himself or bet on himself, he'll probably decline it, head into next season, and, and try to ball out and get even more. But if I'm Baker Mayfield, I'm... I'm being very careful with that. I think he takes that 30 mil. You need to take that 30 mil. I would just demand a lot of it to be guaranteed, if not all of it. Say, I'll meet you halfway. I'll take less money, but I want it all guaranteed. 30 mil is where I would start if I'm the Cleveland Browns. Oh, I'm not starting at 30 mil. 30 mil is my cap from the Cleveland Browns. I'm starting at about 26, and we can work our way up to 30 million, but 30 mil is the cap because 30 mil is the going rate for a good starting quarterback in the NFL. I can't go higher than that. Right now, now if you want to bet on yourself 
and we do some great things like make it to the AFC Championship game, hey, make it to the Super Bowl, then you get paid crazy bucks. But 30 mil would be my my cutoff point because you look at Matt Ryan, he's getting about 30 mil. That press got like I think it was like $32 million and then there's like a cluster of guys getting like $33 million. Yep. And then Mahomes is way up there, uh Big Ben's way up there for you know, for things that he did in his past. And obviously Deshaun Watson's up there as well. So I can't go as far as past 30 mil right now. I think you can, there's a lot of wiggle room in there with incentives. You know, they make up contracts and everything like that um, for the Cleveland Browns sake. But if I'm Baker Mayfield, if I'm Baker Mayfield, especially in a COVID year, I'm paying attention to every other player in the NFL, not even NFL, every other player that gets paid to play a sport. I'm looking at Major League Baseball. I'm looking at to see what Francisco Lindor signs with with the Mets for. Why? Because, that has nothing to do no, with No, no, this. no, because that's going to tell you how other teams are viewing this situation with COVID. Because going into Francisco's Francisco Lindor's free agency, everybody was talking about, oh, man, he's going to get $300 million. So if Francisco Lindor is a casualty of a contract situation because of COVID, then I'm thinking like, oh, I better cash out on whatever I can get. If other free agents out there in the NFL are taking, quote-unquote, lower offers than what they were expected to get, then I probably would cash out and say, like you said, make it guaranteed money, whatever it's going to be, because we just don't know. You just talked about the salary cap, how things are fluctuating, and they don't know because there weren't fans in the stands this year. We weren't buying $10 beers and $18 hot dogs. Like, all that money starts to come up missing and you know they ain't gonna take it out of their own pockets the owner's not gonna take it out of their pockets knows gonna face the consequences the players like hey man we ain't got it man sorry we can't offer you 35 million dollars we can only offer you 30 so those are the type of things that baker's agent is gonna have to look at when he's talking about a contract extension um for the browns i would say my cap would be 30 million dollars 30 million is what it should be and again when i was going back to baker about you know everything needs to be perfect that's what it appears to be at this point. But the Baker Mayfield that played, like, so when when things clicked, when so it was the Cincinnati Bengals game, when everything just seemed to click offensively, everything just took off. Now, a lot of people try to, to say that that was because of the fact that OBJ's out and the team's better without OBJ. I totally disagree. When you look at the fact that, okay, Baker Mayfield at that time, all right, when you look at that time, Baker Mayfield, everything just clicked. He was moving the ball left and right. And besides, I don't think it's completely fair. For me to say that he doesn't make guys better, because at the end of the day, Rashard Higgins isn't a quarterback that anyone around the league truly values, but there's something about the way Higgins and Baker play together that Baker has raised the value of mm-hmm. Higgins. All right. Um, you know, Jarvis and Baker play real well together. So to say, I, you know, I'm not going to, I shouldn't say that the only way he wins is if everything's perfect. There's a lot of quarterbacks that are like that, but it should make you feel good that last year he had those pieces and it wasn't working, and that should have had you alarmed. This year it worked. So the fact that he can take guys and win with guys and win with talent, like last year bothered me because I'm like, he had talent and couldn't win with it. Like that's a problem. That, that scares me. But the way he improved this year, seeing the improvement, you know, no, absolutely not. So that, proves, that proves coaching really matters. Vincent Wallace says quarterbacks better than Baker. He believes Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Brady, Wilson, Ryan, Stafford, Tannehill, Dak, Lamar for sure. I don't know about Lamar for sure, but anyways, we'll get into that. Uh, Baker threw for more yards than Lamar, but that's not my point because Kev's going to kill me for saying that. Uh, he <laughs> believes Herbert and Burrow will both be better in the long run. I don't believe that at all. I mean, ba- Baker had just as good a rookie year as what Burrow and 
you know, Justin Herbert had. So my point to that, Vincent, is I see why you're saying that because you're coming off of the buzz of the season of Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert having great rookie years. Baker's number is just as good as their as their rookie years. So I get why you're saying that, but everyone thought Baker was off ready to take over the world after his rookie year, and we saw them take a step back. A lot of reports that the Bengals are going to be stubborn this year and not address the offensive line. I just read a report today that the Bengals are going to take their chances again with the line that they have, which I found very interesting and laughable. So if you thought I was unbearable last season, Bengals fans, you better put your seatbelt on, put two seatbelts on, because it's going to be a long year for you if the Bengals don't address that offensive line as far as I'm concerned. Um, but then he goes, he is in the same classes with Kyler Murray, Carr, Jones, Goff, and Wentz. Well, guess what? Wentz makes $32 million. Jared Goff makes $33.5 million. The going rate for a good quarterback in the NFL is $30 million. Brown's going to have to pay him $30 million. <laughs> yeah, see, and let, let's be clear. Ryan Tannehill makes about $29.5 million. He's read that $30 million. $30 million. <laughs> Schrody, I hope you're listening. Because I give Ryan Tannehill a lot of crap just to, you know, me and Schrody go back and forth all the time. He's a pretty good quarterback. He's, but the thing is, I thought he was over, like, Tannehill didn't, like, light it up last year. He wasn't like a guy that was moving the ball up and down the field at will. But he did this year. Ryan Tannehill might be why Baker decides not to sign an extension this offseason. Because Ryan Tannehill made $30 million, And then this year, the way he played... He played very good. He played just as well as Josh Allen and some of those guys, but he didn't get as much attention mm-hmm. for it because Derrick Henry gets all that attention. Right. You know, Baker doesn't get a lot of the credit or attention he deserves because Nick Chubb, and I'm fine with that, rightfully yeah. so. So Ryan Tannehill makes 29 and a half. I think if Ryan Tannehill would have looked for that extension after this season, Ryan Tannehill could have got way more than that. Yeah. When I say way, I mean two to three more mil. Yeah, probably at 32. But that puts you in the, almost the top six conversation, which that's a big deal. I, I would take Ryan Tannehill over Kirk Cousins any day, and uh, Kirk Cousins makes three more, but four more mil a year than, than Ryan Tannehill. And I'll take Baker Mayfield over Ryan, or than uh, Baker Mayfield over Kirk Cousins as far as that goes. Uh, but Carson Wentz. So here's the top ten list of quarterbacks. And look, uh, Patrick Mahomes, we're not even going to bring him up, but he's at $45 million. Deshaun Watson's at $39 million. All right, uh, You have Russell Wilson at 35 and then Ben Roethlisberger at 34 Um And some of these contracts are the legacy contracts right. of, you know, the, the NFL still does more of that than what the NBA and some of the leagues do at this point. Aaron Rodgers is at 33.5. I think that's a steal, by the way, because I think that the, the Packers, when we want to talk about roster restrictions for them, I don't want to hear that. I, I use the oh man they they max paid their quarterback but he's making almost he's making twelve million dollars less than the than the quarterback of the Chiefs mm-hmm. and he's as good as the quarterback right. of the Chiefs he's about to win an MVP this year right um, and I know that the Chiefs thing was about long term but oh thank you for reminding me four five seven nine four six four I forgot we're gonna open up the phone lines you've heard us uh, yap enough I want to hear you guys four five seven nine four six four let's go to Dustin is that who this is yeah Dustin thanks for holding man how are you hey I'm doing good guys um, so. I'm not a Browns fan, but I was pulling for them, obviously. Anybody that can crack the Steelers the way they did is awesome. Um, that being said, as far as Baker goes, you know, he's he's a hard guy to, he's a hard guy to figure out at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, to a Browns fan, and I can look at this from an outsider's view. I, I mean, I'm in Ohio here, so I know a lot about them. Um, but, I, I, you know, I'm not a fan of them, but I... They're on the news all the time. You know, I pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, from a Browns perspective and a fan's perspective, when was the last time you guys have had a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield? We haven't. That's not – oh, exactly. the last time? I mean, I have to go – I mean, yeah. 
Bernie Kosar. You go they, back they, I mean, we're we're talking team. decades. I see, like you not like in the near future. They the team. Nothing I mean, relevant this the these team. last two decades. Nothing relevant these last two decades. Right. Now that being said, um, this league is completely offensive driven. The NFL is pure offense. I I think, in my opinion, that the Browns kind of have to overpay a little for him, and maybe maybe do the Maybe do a 30 mil with some incentives, you know, for reaching spots in the season, playoff driven or, uh, you know, touchdown, you know, yardage driven, something like that. But, I mean, you guys haven't had a quarterback that has been able to ignite the team like this in a long, long time. And kind of feels like you guys have to pay for overpay for him. I, I look I think he's going to get paid. I just think that we're gonna it's going to be interesting to see what dollar market he falls in because I think he's gonna be a top ten paid quarterback in the NFL and rightfully so. But even if he gets underpaid and at the bare minimum of thirty million, that's a lot of money. Like that's nothing to scoff at. I mean Matt Ryan's no, at not. thirty million, Dak Prescott with the tag. But you know at, that but you know that he thinks he deserves more than that. You know that. Yeah, we all I, know that. I, I, I think that's why. To your yeah. point, but to your point, Dustin, that's why I said I wonder with Baker's personality being very, very cocky and, be, and you know betting right. on himself, I or being right. very arrogant. I wonder if he would bet on himself and not accept a thirty mil offer and right. say, "Hey, I'm going to go ball it out next year, and then you're going to be forced to pay me more." Or he could say, "You know what? Thirty mil's good. Thirty mil's good. I'll take that." It, I, I don't it, know it, what his approach would be. And it seems like that's where the problem is because. What I'm saying is if you don't overpay a little for him now, then next year, if he gets you guys further into the playoffs, you're going to really, really overpay for him then. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Keep in mind with the TV money that's going to be coming in here in the next couple of years, $30 million is going to seem like nothing. Which, by the way, a few years ago when Matt Ryan got his money, that was big money. Yeah. Now he's not. Now yeah. now he's at the bottom of the barrel with the, with the Carson Wentz's and the Ryan Tannehill's of the world. And at that time, that was a lot of money. Hell, I forgot. What was the money Ryan Tan, or, uh, that uh, Joe Flacco was making? Joe Flacco, for a brief moment, was the highest paid quarterback like in NFL 26. history. Yeah, so jo- right. Joe, Joe Flacco, for like a week or two weeks at a time, he was the highest paid quarterback in NFL history, right? So, right, like, and now right. twenty six million is like, oh man, that's right. like that. That's chump change. And Joe Flacco did exactly what you're saying Baker could potentially do. Don't you disrespect Baker and do? put him in that Joe Flacco company? What did he do? But what did Joe Flacco? <laughs> Joe Flacco always won a damn Super Bowl. He went out and won the Super Bowl. So he won he the went Super out Bowl. Won the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, I mean, well we almost beat the Chiefs <laughs> in the backup quarterback. So uh, what? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that's another thing about that. And then I'll let that was you guys painful, know. man. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But You're good. The, the caller that you guys had a golden opportunity handed. And unfortunately, you know, the Bengals-Browns, they don't get these opportunities very often. And do you know how many points the Chiefs scored after Mahomes went out? Three. That's what Kev said earlier. What? I don't think they scored any. I could I be wrong. Three. I thought, okay, I well, I'm sorry. I was thinking none. Okay, but regardless, three's a low number for an offense like that. So Mahomes goes down. The Browns couldn't capitalize on it. And, you know, sure, some might call it a cheap win. If the Browns won, you'd have that. People say, oh, it's only because they didn't have their star. Well, that's what you do in pro sports. You take advantage of weaknesses. And the Browns couldn't do it. So that's something that... uh I would say, you know, granted, they had a good season and all, but 
If I were a Browns fan, I'd be a little unsettled by that. Oh, it's de- oh, but- oh, in the fact that they got beat by a Michigan quarterback. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Dustin just had to, you know, put the stinger in. Hey, Dustin, thank you for the call, man. I appreciate it. All right, good stuff. Four, five, six. Yeah, I forgot the whole Michigan thing too. You know, <laughs> that was just the the salt in the wound right there. I tell you. No, man. Like at the end of the day, it sucks. But man, we, we're literally talking about the Browns in the middle in in the towards the end of January. That's pretty damn cool, Kev. That's pretty damn cool. I'll, I'll take that. And you're like, yeah, it's just another year for the Steelers. <laughs> Not this year, but no. Looking at this highest paid quarterback list, like Ryan Tannehill's at twenty nine and a half. Matt Ryan's at thirty. Dak Prescott's at thirty. Carson Wentz and Kirk Cousins thirty two and thirty three. Jared Goff at thirty three. Baker is better than Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins. Carson Wentz. I, I'm not ready to say Matt Ryan. I wanted the Browns to trade for Matt Ryan earlier in the year, to be honest with you. So I would be a hypocrite to say that. But uh, you know, Got to be fair, information. but no, but to be fair, at the time that I said to trade him, Baker wasn't playing like this. Like that's why people like to throw that in my face a lot. But like to be fair, Baker wasn't throwing the ball the way he is throwing the ball now. At the time I said to trade him, he was dropping back 20 times a game, throwing for 190 yards a game, no touchdowns, and just handing it off the whole time, which, okay, that's if that's what it takes to win, but that's not going to be good enough to win you 12 games to get to the playoffs. Well, you know what? They opened the ball, they opened the field up, the passing game became a part of the running game as well, and then all of a sudden things take off. But, yeah, I'm looking at these guys in the middle, Kev. I mean, hell, Aaron Rodgers, 33-and-a-half. That's crazy to me. That, that's I mean, that's nuts. And I think actually he's higher on that. I think he got paid after this. This list looks no. This is no, about this right. Is, this is this is this, this year. is this is this year's list. Mm-hmm. That's low. Aaron Rod. That's low. But again, but it's a year and a half contract. ago. A year and a half ago, though, this was looked at as a massive deal because he got paid the year before Ben Roethlisberger signed his extension. And also a thing about NFL contracts, which don't, doesn't happen in the NBA. I think the NBA contracts are a lot easier to follow because you can extend contracts. We can give you more money up front and then in your contract a little bit earlier in the NFL, they have a lot more flexibility in the NFL. Like I was reading something about Big Ben, like they can like extend Big Ben past this contract to reduce their cap number. Like it's just a whole convoluted mess when it comes to NFL contracts. But I mean, you're right. I mean, in a perfect world, the best players would get the most money. So there's no question that Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are the best two quarterbacks in the NFL. So they should be paid the most. That's not how it works. That's not how contracts work. You got to be at the right place at the right time. You know what I'm saying? Like, just imagine how guys like John Elway and Dan Marino and uh, other quarterbacks from the 80s and 90s feel about how these guys are getting paid. Like, you got to think about it, man. Like, there's guys, backup quarterbacks, that get paid more money than John Elway did when he was a starting quarterback. You know what I'm saying? That's just how it goes. You know, it's a lot more money in the, in the league than it was back then. It's just one of those things. Man, that's, yeah. I mean, th- this money conversation <laughs> is insane when you start Wait till we get to it. the NBA. But, <laughs> but all right, 457-9464, that's the number to call in and join in on the conversation. Coming up around the corner, ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. He's going to jump in on the conversation with us as well, uh, so keep that in mind. Uh, Matthew, er, where'd we go with this? Uh, Keith Tolliver on Facebook says, Baker got exceptionally better. Keep in mind, when I'm reading these, we are live on Facebook. If you're just tuning in, go to Facebook, search the Justin Kenner show like the page um or like the show and of course uh you know jump in on the conversation we pull your profile picture and your comment and respond to you in the live video feed so keep that in mind keith tolliver says baker got exceptionally better when he started checking down and or actually would run for a first that's the thing too baker you don't look he's 
he, you don't draft him or sign him or design plays for him to make plays with his legs. But you know how many big plays he's made with his legs um, because he has the. I mean, it's just that's what you got to do to be a quarterback in today's NFL. You don't need to be a runner, but you do need to have the ability mm-hmm. to to scramble and make a play with your legs when you can. Baker throws a very accurate ball on the run, which is difficult to do for even the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And he's also able to pick up and get first downs on key big plays. He did that multiple times against the Chiefs this past weekend. Hell, in Week 17, he clinched the playoff berth by getting that first down by running forward against Pittsburgh to get to the play. He's made some big runs. Um, Another thing that that. he pointed out, the check down. That's something that we talked about with Justin Fields. Like, he doesn't look for the check down. And in the one game that he checked the ball down. It's funny how that works. Oh, man, look look how easy this is. I just drop it off to you, and you just run for a whole bunch of yards. That's pretty cool. Good for my stats. Matthew Gaines, Kev, says, Is there a possibility that Baker will understand the importance of having pieces around him and work out a deal that doesn't hamstring Get that uh, money, Baker. Get that uh, money back. But, that ain't your problem. That is the front office problem. Do not take no discount. But the quarterbacks that work with their teams like that have the most success. I'm telling you, that's not as it's not as secret. The people who was the Tom Brady? Who was the Patriot way? The Tom the Patriot way was Tom Brady never taking the max dollar. I'm not saying because his wife do is that. a supermodel. But uh, but again. <laughs> We talk about all the time searching for things that work, and the things that work are that, and then we sit here wondering why it doesn't. It's a crappy thing to put all the responsibility on the player, but it, it's not a secret, and it's not a coincidence. The numbers don't lie. A top five, or it's been a top five. Any quarterback in the top five in salary has never made it to the Super Bowl, and even this year, let's say Tom, or let's say uh, you know Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers would be the first. He's top five right now. Thirty. Oh, it's top three. The stat is top three. No quarterback has ever made it to the Super Bowl, being top three in payroll uh, and salary. Now, Patrick Mahomes. We'll get there technically, but this season, if they get there, this season, the money is still a part of the, the rookie contract initially. Like, if he does it next year, that's where that's really going to be of significance. Russell Wilson had a shot at $35 million, but he got eliminated. Big Ben at $34 million, He's in the Forbes. So the stat is no quarterback that has ever been in the top three salary-wise has ever won or made it to a Super Bowl. So I found that interesting. Don't do that because that, that, that matters. Again, I'm not saying, you know. But, like, you know how people always like to equate, like, oh, man, they get paid a lot of money to play a children's game. I'm a real American working in the union and everything like that. You wouldn't take a discount to work at your job. So why these dudes got to take a discount, too? They have shown their abilities to be valuable to their teams. They have shown their ability to perform on the field. They're doing their part. They deserve to get paid. Baker, go get your $30 million, man, in ones. Hey, Chris, go away. How about that? I'm so, That's to you, Schlop. If you want to have sloppy comments, you can go be sloppy somewhere else. I'm just throwing that out there. That's for you. Now, I've been doing good today. I'm going to put up with people's stupidity on a Tuesday or whatever the hell day it is. You know? Peace uh, it was love, a vacation man. day for us yesterday, just like it was for you. If you want to be as miserable on a Tuesday as you were yesterday, go be miserable somewhere else. We're trying to have fun here. We don't have time for people like you, so go away. How about that? We good? So anyways, tell me, are you good? I was in the middle of arguing with Kevin. Completely got <laughs> sidetracked dealing with that stupidity over there. All right, we'll be back in a moment. Don't go anywhere. Jason Fitz, ESPN, joins us next. All 
right, everybody, we welcome you back. Justin Kenner, Kev Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station, 1410 Wing AM. Uh, Doug Hoschild, the Dayton Flyers SID, just updated us about the Dayton Flyers game tomorrow night. The Atlantic 10 uh, has announced that the men's basketball game scheduled at UD Arena on Wednesday between George Washington and UD has been postponed. Uh, it has been postponed due to COVID-19 protocols. No makeup debt. No, learn to read, Kenner. No makeup date has been set. The Flyers are scheduled to play in their next game on Saturday, the 23rd at VCU. Game time in Richmond is set for 4.30, so that's their next game. In fact, we'll be live out at Tim's this weekend for uh, the the Talking Out Loud pregame show hosted by Sully, walking you right up to tip-off of the Flyers and VCU. We'll have more information for you coming up on that in a moment. But yes, tomorrow's matchup uh, between George Washington and the Flyers has been postponed due to COVID-19 protocols. In fact, the Flyers just played and beat Washington over George Washington over the weekend. Um, so... The Flyers have a whole week off now until they get to their matchup with VCU coming up this weekend. So just keep that in mind. They actually haven't been impacted by that hardly at all, um, not just internally with their team and their games, but opponents as well. So it's taken a while, but finally they kind of got bit with it. So we'll keep you updated on that. All right, let's switch gears here. Let's bring on our next guest, ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz, who, of course, is a little richer today because you don't have to buy a steak dinners now. <laughs> you know what? I was, I'll be honest. I was worried there was a moment in that second half <laughs> Where I was getting puckered up, and I was like, man, I don't know how much. And let me tell you, I rarely, you know, I'm dabbling now. They've made sports gambling legal in Tennessee, so I've done some dabbling when I've been in and around Nashville where I can go ahead and, and place a little wager on the game. So I placed a small wager on the passing yards for Patrick Mahomes at 320 yards. And let me tell you, at halftime, I felt good about that. I was like, man, I got this gambling thing down. And then the second half hit, and I said, "I'm never, I'm never putting money on an individual again. It's too, it's too unpredictable." So uh, I thought you, I thought you were going to get me though. For for a solid few minutes, I thought you were going to get me. Thank you, Chad Henney. Uh, you know, speaking of Chad Henney, there was a certain point in that game where, you know, I kind of put our bet off to the side. I forgot about it a bit. I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't, and by the way, I also found some dollars to put on it. But that's besides the point. Uh, but, you know, there's a certain point in the game where I'm like, oh, man, Henney throws an interception. So the Browns had just scored to make it 22-17. Henney throws the interception. All momentum's in favor of the Browns. And I'm like, oh, man, they're going to do this. They're at least going to get the lead late in this game. And then it's all bets are off as far as that goes. But, yeah, obviously it would have been a, a win in a – sensation of not the way we had anticipated, but obviously the Browns are the Browns and the Chiefs came out on top. But what a win for the Chiefs against all odds with their quarterback going out and, of course, having Henny come in. Andy Reid, man, they, you saw the funny memes about the size of you know his manhood. I mean, that was pretty impressive, him going for it the way he did late in that game. Well, not only that, but to do it with your backup quarterback and to snap the ball earlier than like, if you listen to the, the uh, count beforehand, you could hear Henny talking about the clock and then they unexpectedly snapped it. I mean, it was a stunner. Everything about the way that play went down was a stunner. And look, to be real, that's one of those moments that if any of our favorite teams did that and it was incomplete and you lost the game, then we'd be saying our coach is a bum and an idiot. But when you're Andy Reid, you just don't care. I mean, and that's what we've seen. Like, you, you would expect that with Mahomes. But when you got Chad Henney in there and you're putting the ball in Henney's hand on a rollout where he's got to complete it on the move, I mean, I just, I, I was stunned by the play call, by the everything that they did in that moment. It was perfect because it worked, and it's a reminder that you don't beat the Chiefs just by having a better quarterback than they do for one particular day. you got to have a better coach than they do, and that's difficult. How's your Browns fans feel about this season? Well, I mean, this is a, a stinging answer because uh, I think it's a very talented team, and Stefanski's turned out to be 
a, a very good coach. So there's a lot to be really excited by. I'll always go back to my experience. This is sort of the, the moment I, I give everybody just a little bit of a warning. Because I remember in 2016, I was sitting down with my wife, and I was like, man, I don't know which jersey to get. Do I get Mac, Carr, or Cooper? Because for the next five years, the Raiders are going to be the team in the AFC West. Everything is good. They were 12-4 and four coming off of one of those years where they won every unimaginable way. And, you know, while the Browns are a very good team and they have a lot of talent, I still think you have to win when you're in your window. This year they had that opportunity. I think Browns fans should be a little bit saddened by the fact they weren't able to take the next step this year, even though they, they got farther than usual because nothing in the NFL is guaranteed. And realistically, I mean, if you're the Browns, you feel like you've got a good team, but you also got to look around and say, well, you know, so do the Ravens. And the, the Bengals are going to get better, whether it's the Bengals or not. The Bengals are going to get better. So, you know, I, I look at the division thinking things aren't going to get easier. They're going to have to keep grinding and hope that they can pop through. So it's a, there's a moment of appreciation for this year, but also a moment of opportunity loss. Because if you go back and look the last few years, there's a lot of teams, the Raiders, the Bears, the Jags, that all thought that they were on the precipice of being good for several years in a row, and it just didn't work out that way. Kevin and I were, you know, 22 points. The Cleveland Browns give up 22 points. And I feel like we were watching two different games because Kevin and I started out the show a little heated, and ultimately we're just all arguing the same thing. But 22 points on paper, if you're just a box score, you know, fan of football, man, the Browns' defense showed up. They shut down the Kansas City Chiefs' offense. Sure, there was no Patrick Mahomes in the second half, but you still shut them down. I feel like that defense was just straight-up garbage. I told Kev, I tweeted out at a certain point during the game, I felt like I was watching Alabama against Ohio State, the national title game. Kansas City, the Chiefs were moving the ball at will. The points didn't necessarily match the dominance that I felt I was watching as far as the offense of the Chiefs is concerned. How would you break down the defensive effort of the Browns, who I felt like they were playing a damn prevent defense from the time, from the first play of the game? Uh, you're, I, I agree with you a thousand percent. Look, the Chiefs didn't have great rhythm, and they got into the red zone and kept settling for field goals, which is not something we're used to seeing from them, right? You know, so you, you look at the Chiefs, and this has been my knock on Kansas City all year. They remind me of the Lakers in the bubble. Like when they care, they are unbeatable, and then they look bored for a while. So I expected them to come out and be lights out in this game. They really weren't. You know, their defense held up better than I expected their defense to hold up in the first half. But I also was a little curious of the Browns' game plan going into that one. I thought it was a little surprising that they weren't just trying to run the ball down the throats more of the Chiefs because we know that works. But uh, for the Browns defensively, I mean, I, I felt like they were lucky to get out of the first half, not down by three touchdowns. It, it, the, the ability for Mahomes and the Chiefs to just get yards in big plays whenever they wanted uh, was stunning to watch. So, you know, kudos to them for making it a game at the end, but let's not pretend that the first half looked like it wasn't a predictable outcome. So the big question is to sign Baker now or to sign Baker later? What should the Browns do? Well, uh, that's the toughest question for every team in the NFL because it, later means more expensive. And, you know, I, I, I yell this constantly to everybody that it's not about being great. It's about having your contract come up at the right time for a quarterback that you believe is good enough to win your games. And I had a former NFL coach tell me years ago when I was hanging out with him once, he said, you know what? If you got a quarterback that you don't think will lose you football games, you'll overpay to keep what you know. And a lot of teams do that when they get into this situation. So, you know, if you're looking at Baker, I mean, I'd sign him now. Not because I think that Baker is going to be the epic franchise quarterback that, you know, I don't think he's going to end up being Mahomes, you know, but at the same time, do you really want to dip into the draft to see what you can find that's better than Baker? Because if you're the Browns, you're going to be good enough for the next few years. You're not going to be picking high enough to get yourself Trevor Lawrence, even if things go wrong. 
likely your best case scenario is to be looking for somebody like a Kyle Trask or a Mac Jones later in the first round, right? So I just don't think there's an easy replacement. Like replacement value matters to me. So I'd sign Baker and just sort of take your lumps. And just, again, I'll use my Raiders fandom as a reminder to everybody, but when Derek Carr signed that deal, everybody thought that the Raiders had lost their mind, but they signed him early. And now what do you know? The deal's normalized and he's only getting about 25 million a year, which for a quarterback isn't even top half of the league salary. So, you know, get ahead of it and take your lumps early on. And then the contract will normalize. We have ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz from Spain and Fitz hanging out with us here today on the Justin Kinder Show talking all things Browns, NFL playoffs. Uh, you know, we'll get to a Buckeye question or two here in a moment. But uh, staying in the AFC real quick, Jason, you know, you see the Browns, they squandered an opportunity with Patrick Mahomes going out. And, you know, they only lost 22-17. But I'm looking at the other AFC playoff game. The Baltimore Ravens, you hold a explosive Bills offense to only 17 points. You have You are the Baltimore Ravens. You have reigning MVP in Lamar Jackson. And you lose, only giving up 17 points. You only put three on the board. The Browns, the Ravens. Which team do you believe squandered a bigger opportunity in the in the AFC divisional round? In your opinion, the Ravens. And you're a thousand percent right. You held a dynamic offense to 17 points. Your defense came in lights out. And yet again, you just didn't seem to have any identity offensively. Any idea what you're doing offensively? I mean, at some point, you know, this is oversimplification, but. You guys know that I believe that when you've got a young quarterback that you trust, you have an obligation to get that young quarterback weapons and then see who he can be. And that's what the Bills have done. I mean, the the smartest thing that the Bills did was they let Josh Allen grow sort of in a bubble. They didn't care about anybody else's opinion. Then they added dynamic pieces around him. And what do you know? Bam, we have the Bills with an explosive offense. For the Ravens, I mean, what is their identity at this point? How are they generating yards? Yes, they have a former MVP and quarterback that at times looks absolutely spectacular. But if you need five yards from Lamar Jackson, what's the one play that you know you cannot stop them on? We all know that there are certain plays where you see Mahomes roll out, you know that they're going to run as they showed you 15,000 times on the broadcast, that one little skinny <laughs> play that they're going to play, right? Like, we all know that. But it, it speaks to, okay, there are certain moments that you say, as a team, this is who we are and this is how we impose their will, our will. And that's what the Browns, when the Browns were playing the best, it was when they realized, hey, we got running backs that are going to be able to just wear you down and kick your butt, and we'll take our shots when we get them. For the Ravens, I don't know what the answer to that is. Like, every once in a while you'll find a team that's not disciplined enough to stop the run or stop Lamar from rolling out. Other than that, they just don't have a lot. So I think they need an entire new game plan, and they absolutely squandered their opportunity. Huh, so how could they do that? What What is it that the Ravens could do? Maybe it's an Eric Bieniemy. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, what I predicted at the beginning of the season actually <laughs> might have some legs to it. I haven't heard it one dang place, and I'm surprised. Look, I don't think Harbaugh's a bad coach at all. I just think when you're at a place long enough, the voice you know starts falling on deaf ears a little bit. I think Harbaugh would be swooped up pretty quickly elsewhere. Uh, but you're not moving on from Lamar Jackson, your MVP quarterback. You're not moving on from you, you know much of anything. I just think that it would be a, a much-needed spark for this team if they look to Eric Bieniemy, we're hearing his name for a lot of spots that are filling up, and vacant jobs are no longer as vacant. I, I, it's weird. I'm not advocating to fire Harbaugh. I'm more so advocating to fire to hire Bieniemy. But you can't do one without the other. So, but that to me it would be a spark in the offense for the Ravens that I think they're looking for instead of this dry approach of just hoping Lamar can run you to a Super Bowl. Yeah, well, you're not wrong about that. And at some point, you got to decide what you're comfortable being. You know, like what's the cost of relevance versus the cost of excellence. Like, and there's there's really different categories. There. Like as a fan of a team that usually stinks, I'll take being relevant. <laughs> as if once your team is relevant, though, you suddenly turn around and say, okay, I want I don't want to just be relevant. I want to be excellent. I want to win Super Bowl. 
There's nothing about the way the Ravens are constructed offensively right now that makes me think they can win a Super Bowl. So at some point you got to turn around and say, okay, am I just beating my head against the wall over and over and over again? So, you know, I'm not a fan of change for the sake of change, but I'm also not a fan of just sitting back and saying, okay, we are who we are and we'll hope that one year we get lucky. We know what the line is in the AFC. It's you got to be better than Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I don't see any reason to believe that this Baltimore team can do anything to be better than Andy Reid and, and, uh, and Patrick Mahomes. So the other quarterback that's sitting out there, kind of in limbo, is Deshaun Watson. What is going on there? Is he going to be the quarterback for the Texans next season, or do you see him playing for someone else? I, if you'd asked me a week ago, I'd have said we're all making too much of, uh, of nothing, right? Like, so he's unhappy. He'll figure it out. But it's not going away. And he's so vocal. Like, this is such an NBA player mindset in the NFL, which we've never seen to this level. I mean, the only time I can remember a top quarterback obviously deciding they just won't play was Carson Palmer. And uh, obviously, you know, for the Bengals, he just said, no, I'm out. But it's rare to see somebody with Deshaun Watson's bank account that turns around and says, you know what? I'm not sure I want to deal with this anymore. Now the Texans got to fix it, and they haven't done anything the right way to actually fix it. So, yeah, I think he's on the open market. And, frankly, if I'm a team that's on the verge, uh, you know, because there's no trade cause, you got to be a team that you believe is going to be a playoff contending team. If I'm a playoff contending team and you tell me I have to give up every first and second round pick for the next three to five years in order to get Deshaun, I'm doing it. I'm not even blinking because I got a scouting department and a GM that should be able to build with the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round draft picks, build value that way. But you got a quarterback in the peak of his career that's got 14, 15 years left in this league that will make you a playoff caliber team year in and year out if you don't just completely texting it up. Like, I, I would absolutely take that all day. Like, if you told me that my beloved Raiders were giving up all their first and seconds for the next five years, but they got Deshaun Watson, I'd take it. You know, and it's funny, though, because as much as we talk about is it going to be surprising to see him play elsewhere, I do believe deep down that the Texans, who don't want to get rid of Deshaun Watson, kind of want to get rid of Deshaun Watson, not so much the quarterback, but contract. I think they are such in disarray from a, from a, you know, when you look at the money standpoint, that this would give them a breath of fresh air to be able, if they can get him to the Jets somehow and get that number two overall pick, and you get a Justin Fields, and now you freed up all this cap space, and it's like a breath of fresh air, it's like starting over from scratch. I believe, I know as weird as this sounds, like Eric Bieniemy. let's say that he takes over this Texans team. I think that's more of a disaster, taking over a team, even with Deshaun Watson, because of the cap space issues, than it would be taking over a Texans team with the number two overall pick with the Justin Fields uh, potential pick there at number two. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the thing of it is, you get that number two overall pick, you, you, you have cheap labor, right? We all know that. You have the opportunity to get a player that's going to cost you a lot less. But, man... I mean, I just keep looking at the draft, and I think we take for granted what a crapshoot it is. Yep. I mean, uh, Baker's a perfect example. Year one, he's a world beater. Year two, everybody thinks he stinks. Year three, now, well, what are we going to do? We're going to we're going to sign him to more. You know what I mean? Like it's so up and down early on on quarterbacks that you know it's just hard for me. The Jets were convinced that they, it was worth trading up to get Sam Darnold, and we all saw how that worked out. So you know, if I'm Eric Bieniemy and I have the chance to take my first head coaching gig that took me way too dang long to get. Do I really want to go in with a situation where I also have to roll the dice on a college quarterback? I, I mean, that would make me nervous. And, and guys, I don't think this is just a Deshaun conversation either. I don't know why nobody's talking about the other quarterback in the state of Texas. I mean, at some point, Dak has, there's true. nothing secure and known about Dak's future. So I, I think both quarterbacks in, in the state of Texas are, are up for play and up for grabs on the trade market by the time we hit the draft. Wow. 
<laughs> That's just crazy. So who you got, man? Who you got in the NFC and AFC championships games? Who's going to the Super Bowl? I'm taking the Chiefs because I think we all think Mahomes is going to play. And even if he only, you know, even if he has a bum toe and, uh, you know, a weird neck and, you know, whatever else is going on, like, he's still Mahomes. So I'm not going to bet against Andy Reid and, and Kansas City. I do really love Buffalo, and I'd love to see the Bills win because Bills Mafia is just so awesome to root for. But uh, I think the Chiefs go. And the, the tougher one on the other side, I picked the Saints to beat to Tampa Bay, and I was obviously wrong. But, man, I just kept watching that Packers game and the way Aaron Rodgers is playing right now. Like, he's just – nothing's wrong. Like, nothing – he doesn't make mistakes. Everything just feels like he does the right thing every time. And the way that Matt LaFleur has built that offense, I, I, it's hard for me to say – that uh, Aaron Rodgers won't be in there. So I'm going to go with Packers uh, taking on the Chiefs. Although, if I was just going from a fan mindset, I really think the concept of the Bills making to the Super Bowl and having to beat Brady to win it would be the ultimate like, <laughs> troll. So like, I wish we were getting that, but I think we're getting Kansas City versus Green Bay. All right, as we send you out here, and again, we have ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz with us here. As we send you out with this, just with you working so closely with a lot of former players at ESPN, Urban Meyer to Jacksonville, it sounds great. He's a name, he's a winner, he wins everywhere he goes, but that's at college. We all know the differences in the two. I'm confident, like, I feel confident that it's going to work, but I don't know what it works means. I'll just be honest with you. When I say I think it's going to work, I don't know if I mean Super Bowl or not. I just mean, hey, I think it, you know, changes a culture. I think it, it's going to get, you know, good guys in there that believe that they are, you know, good enough to win. What do you hearing about Urban Meyer's transition to the NFL taking over the Jaguars is this going to work and what does work what does it working mean to you I think the hardest part is that you know not just the transition from college and I've talked to a lot of guys around ESPN about that there are people that are are, are curious about that I'm not as worried about it simply because we see more college concepts coming into the NFL level especially offensively right now so I think it can work my concern is that I talked to one college football person that I know well, and he said he's never met anybody in his life that took losses more personally than Urban Meyer, not just on the field, but even a loss in recruiting, that it actually <laughs> eats at him in such a way that there's the thought that part of what hurts you know, his health issues has been the mental wear and tear that comes from losing. And if that's the case, he's going to Jacksonville. They're not going to be – I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to be great. That, that roster is still garbage. So he's going to lose a lot of games the first couple of years, I think. I don't know how his health handles – losing at that level. So that would be my biggest concern. But uh, success, when you've got Trevor Lawrence coming in, who I'll argue is the most hyped uh, quarterback we've seen come out of college since Peyton Manning. And when you've got Trevor in there, the expectations in Jacksonville are going to be that you are, within two years, you're a division champion caliber team. That's a lot to try and get done in Jacksonville. We've never seen the level of sustained success, I think, that will be expected from Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence. And the one thing Urban won't get is benefit of the doubt that Trevor isn't good because Trevor is so hyped that if it doesn't work out, no one's going to blame the quarterback. They're going to blame the coach. So I, I think it's a tough situation for Urban. But you want to talk about hype? Like the, the Jags could never get this level of hype with any other coaching combo that they were going to put together. So they put together a, a name brand coach people will be interested to follow that makes them relevant with the quarterback that's this hype. Like Jags are going to get more national TV games and more conversation than ever because of it. All right, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz, weeknights from 7 to 9 p.m. right here on Dayton's ESPN Radio Station, 1410 Wing AM. Jason, thanks so much for your time. We'll touch base next week, and uh, looking forward to getting closer to the Super Bowl. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great week. Later.
All right, good stuff. Again, ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz. You can catch him weeknights from 7 to 9. Really, he's kind of all over the... I mean, they, they use him in so many different facets, <laughs> but uh, he's one of the hardest working guys at ESPN, and we appreciate him hanging out with us every Tuesday on the Justin Kinder Show with Kev Nash on 1410 ESPN Radio. So we just lightly talked about Urban Meyer right there, and it's interesting. We're going to get into you know his impact on the Jaguars coming up. But I keep, you know, it's the same talking points every time. Is it going to work? Is it going to, what does that mean? Is it going to work? Like when we say, is it going to work? Is it going to just lead to Super Bowls? Is it going to lead to a Super Bowl? Is it going to lead to a 500, you know, 500 seasons? Is it going to lead to playoff seasons? What is the true expectation for Urban Meyer? That's the key. But when I ask, is it going to work? What I mean is, is the things I'm fascinated most about are how coaches communicate in the locker room. How do coaches connect with players? Uh, I was listening to a show earlier today. They were talking about how Nick Saban almost got in a fight. I think it was with Dante Culpepper, who was the quarterback. Yeah, yeah. So that they said that uh, he talked down to Dante Culpepper and questioned his effort. Said if you don't care about playing, get off the field. And that they had to literally restrain Dante Culpepper from going after Nick Saban because that's the way that you would talk to a college athlete. That's the mm-hmm. way you would motivate them. But you can't do that in the NFL. I Like Urban Meyer and even Nick Saban, they come across so just like Bill Belichick, like when they're at the podium, right? When they're talking with the media, they're just so dry and dull. I'm like, how does this dude scream himself into sickness when he barely seems to have a personality? And no, I know that might sound like a crack at him. It's really not. I'm just, but that's how intense these guys get out right. of the practice field. Well, a friend of yours, when Urban Meyer was a head coach at Bowling Green, a friend of yours played for him yeah. uh, at Bowling Green. And I'll yeah. let you kind of yeah. set the uh, stage. One of my best friends, John Gibson, he played for Coach Meyer. His first head coaching job was at Bowling Green. His first year, John was one of the running backs on the team, so we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. John who? John Gibson. You're going to give him the whole name. You got I, me. Fall, I, I get it. It's like, oh, yeah, Kev's friend John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John, John Kev's friend. Know, to yeah. be perfectly honest, sometimes I forget that we're on the air because these, these arguments and conversations we have, we have these in the hallways back when we used to come in the building every day. Yeah, so I got it really doesn't. <laughs> Don't worry, I got my hand on the dumb button. Don't worry, I got you. <laughs> All right, so John Gibson, again, who played at Bowling Green under Urban Meyer. Uh, we wanted to bring him on. He's a very good friend of Kev's. And I just want to get some insight as far as him taking us back to the first time, his first practice that he remembers Urban Meyer stepping foot out on the field and what was instantly different. Because that's what I'm curious about Urban in the NFL. Now, Urban Meyer today is probably different than the Urban Meyer that your friend played for. Right. But let's be clear. The, the end game has never has always been the same, and that's to win. And how do you go about doing that? But, yeah, I, I'm very curious about that. How do you change how you talk to college athletes to the pros, how that's going to translate? So we'll talk with, again, John Gibson. John Gibson, Kev's friend, played at Bowling Green for Urban Meyer. We'll talk about some stories there when we come back. Don't go anywhere. It's the Justin Kinner Show, live here on ESPN Dayton. Justin Kinner back with you here on 1410 ESPN Radio. Kevin Nash will be back with us in just a second. We're going to get our guest on here in a moment. Again, John Gibson played for Bowling Green from 97 to 2001. Now, the significance of bringing on John Gibson, of course, is because he got to play for Urban Meyer. In fact, he was at Bowling Green the year that Urban Meyer debuted with the Falcons. And uh, we're, he's going to come on with us in just a few moments just to kind of share some memories of what it was like witnessing Urban 
transitioning Bowling Green into a contender, and we'll get into that coming up here in just a few seconds. And it sounds like that's underway, so we're good. So we'll bring him on in just a second. But coming up here in this third and final hour of the show, a lot more to get to. How about the Ohio State Buckeyes? We were waiting after the national championship game last week to start hearing the, the you know the the players who were declaring for the NFL draft and those who were going to come back. There were some important names that announced that they were leaving that we were expecting. Some also key returning players that I do not believe we were expecting that I think really shapes reshapes our view of what the offense is going to look like in 2021. We'll dive more into that coming up around the corner. Also, you found an interesting article out in the rumor mill of a potential transfer quarterback that could come to Ohio State mm-hmm. that I do find really interesting because we just think it's Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud's the popular name that I keep seeing everywhere. Jack Miller, though, is always the guy that that day I almost called him Urban. That Ryan Day would always seem to go to at times, except for the last month of the yeah. season. So we'll get into that coming up here in a moment. But we talked about it lightly with ESPN Radio's Jason Fitz just recently about the transition for Urban Meyer, uh, who of course left Ohio State a few years ago, two years in the broadcast booth, and now making his NFL debut uh, as head coach of the Jaguars. But joining us now to give us a little bit of a background of what it's like playing for Urban Meyer, a good friend of Kevin's. Kev, I'll let you introduce him. Uh, John Gibson, Beechcroft High School and Bowling Green Falcon, also does a lot of radio work for the Falcons Network, also does TV up in Toledo, Ohio. Bro, what's going on? Uh, life is good, baby. So tell us, man, Urban Meyer comes in your senior year. What is your first impression of Coach Urban Meyer as you're a senior after leading the team in rushing as a junior? You're introduced to a new head coach. I mean, he run, He comes in, and he, when he walks into a room or he walks into the room with, you know, 21-year-old me, he carries a cachet with him. He has an aura about himself. And, and it's, a, it's the same aura that you see in his press conferences. He's very business. He's very direct. He's very straightforward. But at, at a place, you know, where we were in Bowling Green, where uh, Urban, uh, where our offense was more abundant, he had all of these different ideas about, how uh, we were going to make this offense great. And, uh, you know, he came through on every one of the promises that he made, um, every one of the promises that he made. But, you know, that first, I'd say, that first nine months, you know, that first nine months, he got the job on December the 4th. Um, that first nine months was tough. I am one of the unfortunate souls that had to live through that that workout where he locked the, uh, where he locked the, the, the doors to the turf room and pulled the trash cans out and, uh, you know, guys quit that day. Like that was about two weeks after he got the job. <laughs> so, you know, I was the, I, I lived through that. Um, you know, and, and when he talks about it, I heard him talk about it recently. He said some of the stuff that I did at Bowling Green, I couldn't get away with today. And I think that's the biggest reason why he's with the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. Two quick points. Um, obviously, you were coming off a major shoulder injury going into your senior year, and also. The offense was changing. You know, this is, you know, hard to believe, but this is 20 years ago, bro. Um, this is, you're coming from a, a eye formation situation. You get the ball out the eye, you hit the A gap, and you just go up the gap. And now Urban Meyer's bringing in a spread offense. You know, people look at college football today, spread offense is everywhere. But this is a brand new offense for you not only to be learning, but you're coming off a shoulder injury. Well, yeah, I tell you what, it, it sucked. My first, like, I was always a guy who really got better in between, you know, in, in between the seasons. I, I got a lot better in spring, and I did not practice at all in spring. When I came back in camp, I was fifth on the depth chart. I was sitting behind two freshmen, and, and I ran up to Urban. I said, you know, I, I didn't ask him about my position on the depth chart. I said, well, if I'm only going to be fifth on the depth chart, put me on special teams. 
I, you know, it's my senior year. So I wound up on all special teams and, uh, you know, and, and eventually worked my way to a, to a 1A, 1B type starting role as a running back. But, um, you know, that, the offense, it, it, he didn't believe, he didn't know if it was going to work. Like he'd heard, you know, he, he hadn't tried it. He came from Notre Dame. He had never tried it. He didn't know it was going to work, but we drilled it and drilled it and drilled it and timed it and worked it out. And eventually, I mean, it, it did big things, you know, kind of set a renaissance of Bowling Green football in order. And, uh, you know, made, made my, took my senior team from a 2-9 and nine team my junior year to 8-3. and three. John, I'm curious, you know, Urban Meyer, when we see, you know, I we know him from just what we see when he addresses the media, when well, he is the media or was the media up until, if you know, uh, last week when he signed the dotted line to be the contract of the Jaguars, but he's very monotone. He's very dry. He's not dull, but he's not like he doesn't, he, he just captivates you with, with the way he has control of the room, as you mentioned earlier. But I'm curious, that's not who Urban Meyer is as a coach out on the practice field. What is he like when he's in, like, see, so you're laughing, but I can't picture it. Like, that's the, I'm fascinated by coaches. Like, coaching to me fascinates me. I wanted to be a coach, but I wasn't good enough as an athlete to even get into anything coaching-wise. But I'm just curious, what is Urban like on the practice field on game day? Let's say, John, you screwed up a drill. Urban Meyer's not coming at you calmly with the, with the, with an iPad drawing it on the board of how to do it correctly, correct? I mean, he's lighting your ass up, I'm assuming. Oh, no, like, he's he's in your face. Like, you know, one of my best friends on the team actually got kicked off the team because him and Ultra, Ur- Urban got into an altercation on the practice field. Um, Urban is, you know, the guy that you see in the in, in the press room, the guy that's being interviewed, that deadpan, very straightforward, that is Urban. But the Urban that you get on the practice field expects everything to be done and expects everything to be done right. He's a he's very much a type A personality. Uh, he wants everything done. He wants everything done right. And he wants it done to his specifications. And so, you know, it, it's one of those things where you learn very quickly. There's not going to be any loafing on the field, or you won't be on the field. There's not going to be. You know, I had a meeting with Urban. I, I had a shoulder surgery going into or during the winter conditioning going into my senior year, and it hadn't properly healed when we got into spring ball. So I practiced for about a week and a half during spring ball, and he pulled me. He called. He called me at home and says, "Come to my office." I come to his office. He said, "Man, I had this film set up, and I was going to show you what you look like. I see you in the locker room. You don't look happy." And I told him, "I said, Coach, look, I'm not a. I was not a, a, a speed guy. I was. I was a power guy. And if I if I've only got one shoulder, I can't run anybody over. And that's what I do very well." And I told him, "I was like, I'm hurt." He said, "Okay, fine. You're going to sit out the rest of spring ball. You're going to come back in the fall a monster, or you will never touch my field." And that was our deal. And when I left that spring, I, my max bench press was 115 pounds for eight. And when I got back, and by the time we got back in August, I was up to about 285 for, for eight. You know, and it was just me getting healthy. But he put it in my head, hey, you're not going to play if you're not right. And so I knew that at that point in time that I had, a, I had to get right. And then we saw, you know, during spring ball, during camp, you know, you miss a block. No, he's going to get up in your face and demonstrate it with you. This is how you're supposed to block. This is how you're supposed to do it. And that's the way he was. On the practice field, things were intense. You were focused. Now, mind you, we had fun. And, you know, I remember one team meeting where Urban, he had us so keyed in. This is, you know, three, four weeks into the season. He told a joke during a team meeting and nobody laughed. <laughs> and to the point he looked at us, he looked at us and said, come on, guys, that's a joke. You can laugh. And we were like, oh, <laughs> and then we're right back to being serious. You know, like you don't. The worst thing to do with an urban on an Urban Meyer team was to be um, 
get the film room on Monday mornings. Film sessions were special teams and Urban led the special teams meetings. And we watched every cut up of special teams. And if you were loafing on special teams, you got undressed at 7 a.m. in front of the whole team, the staff, to the point where some guys couldn't take it. Like, but that's what you you knew that if you didn't give effort on special teams, it was going to be hell to pay. And see, that's now earlier when you said he goes, you do it, you're a monster, or you're not on my football field. He pulls that in the NFL. I shouldn't say pulls that as if there's something wrong with it. But if he if he does pull that, I guess with an NFL player, how is that? going to work. And this isn't really an Urban Meyer question. This is what fascinates me about Pete Carroll going back to the NFL uh, or Nick Saban. And I've heard the Nick Saban stories about him and Dante Culpepper nearly, nearly getting into a fight because Nick Saban tried to bark demands the way you would if you were in college. That has to be a tough transition. I mean, I, I, that's where I see that being the biggest question mark. Urban knows the game. He knows how to lead men. He knows how to lead a team. To me, it's can he find a balance of how to do what has got him to this point of being great and also doing it in a way Manner that will translate into the NFL game where you're not screaming at guys, but also trying to get the best out of them at the same time. I, I tell you, I, I'll, I'll give you a story. The last, I went to see Ohio State practice um, probably about two, uh, I'd say about four or five years ago. Um, you know, Coach Greg Strujawa uh, was one of my favorite coaches on that staff when Urban came over, and he was the offensive line coach there. Urban was there, and I happened to walk into the facility, the Woody Hayes facility, the same time they were going out to practice. So I had a short conversation with Urban. And, um, you know, but during that practice, I was sitting there watching. It was interesting. I'm sitting there with Jim Lachey watching practice. And, uh, you know, Jim Lachey and my uncle were at Ohio State at the same time. Butch Reynolds is my uncle, a former world record holder in a 40-meter dash. So he was asking me about my uncle. And we're sitting there watching practice, and uh, there was a fight on the practice field. And uh, Urban... You know, the fight broke up, and I, I cannot remember this kid's name. He was a running back. He was a very good running back. I, I want to say his first name. He was from Detroit, and I cannot think of what the kid's name is. Mike Weber. Mike Weber. There you go. Mike Weber was involved in a fight on the practice field. Typical stuff. And I remember during, Urban walks over. He grabs Mike Weber. He walks him away, and they have a conversation, and you never see anything else of it. And I think that the Urban is – Urban quietly – is a is a, he's a psychologist as much as he is a coach. He's a guy that is going to um, he reads Malcolm Gladwell books. Like during his transition through the Bowling Green system, he was reading a Malcolm Gladwell book to us during team meetings during camp, and we were you know kind of understanding the concepts from this Gladwell book. And that's kind of what you know that's who he is. So he understands people. The reason why Urban Meyer, as you know, a middle aged white guy can walk into uh, a, a lower socioeconomic black guy's house and speak to his mother and his father and get these people to believe him. It's because he understands people. And I think Urban understands, you know, I can't do the things that I did in college to these grown men, these millionaires, mind you. He knows that he can't do that. I'm very interested to see how he's able to work it. But I've also seen some kids that weren't going to make it that Urban was able to wrap his arms around and not only turn these young men into, you know, balls-to-the-wall football players, but he's also able to turn them into great human beings who've had success in their lives after their football career was done. And, you know, I've seen him do that. So, I, you know, it's going to be very interesting. I think that's always the question. You know, as a coach, we saw Bobby Petrino struggle with it when he went yep. to Atlanta. We saw Nick Saban struggle with it. 
I don't know because I do believe that Urban, he does have kind of a my way of the highway type of thing, but I think he also is smart enough to where he does ask questions. What are you comfortable with? How does this feel for you? I think he's going to, I think that balance is definitely going to be determining factor of whether he's a successful coach at that level or, or not. But I, I think the way that college football has changed, he no longer was interested in coaching college football. Mm-hmm. And he told me last time I saw him, which would have been two years ago, he stopped in the Bowling Green to watch practice, and uh, I did was able to have a conversation with him. And, you know, he told me, I have no interest in coaching college football anymore. He told me that. Now, I didn't expect pro football to even be an option because 20 years ago I asked him flat out, would he ever coach the pros? And he said no. So to see him actually come out and coach in the pros is surprising. But, it, you know, I think with the way that they've changed college football, I, I, I don't think that his way was, was – I think his way would have wound up – with him being in some type of NCAA doghouse. Bro, one of the things that we know about Urban is he gets a great coaching staff. I mean, the coaching staff is already being made up of Charlie Strong. There's rumors about Dan Mullen, one of your former coaches, linking up with him in the pros. What do you see from his coaching staff? What does he look for for in his coaches? Well, I mean, he looks for guys that are, first of all, football lifers. You know, football has to be, and, and the coach at that level, that's pretty much a, a given. But, you know, he also finds guys that have talent. You know, he had, uh, you know, one of my favorite coaches that came in, aside from Coach Dedrawa, was uh, uh, Stan Drayton. Uh, Stan Drayton was the running back's coach, and he wound up going to uh, the coaching for the Packers and the Bears. And I believe he's the, uh, he was at Texas under Herman. I don't know where he is now. But I know Coach Drayton was, a you know, he looks for guys that, are all about ball, but they have a special knack to be able to work with players. Like, you know, to be completely honest, Dan Mullen was not my favorite coach on that staff. Could not stand Dan Mullen. Right? <laughs> told you, told you, Kenner. He got – never mind. That's his copy for another day. Continue, bro. Don't be rude, Kev. We have a guest. I don't want to hear you talk, Kev. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Could not stand Dan Mullen. But you cannot argue with the, the results, the Tim Tebow, the, the Dak Prescott, the, the, the trust down in Florida now. You cannot argue with the results that Dan Mullen has gotten, you know, and those are the type he goes and gets guys, and he's loyal to a fault. I don't know if you guys have recognized this, but he never fired a he's never fired an assistant coach in his whole coaching career. <laughs> That's what got him in trouble. That's what got him, that is what got him in trouble. That is what got him in trouble, and he's he can he can't be loyal to a fault. Mm. But I think honestly, the one thing that we don't necessarily give these college credit these college coaches credit for. Urban is one of the guys that gets it. It doesn't stop. You know, he, he gets that college football is exploitation. He gets that, right? And so he's not one of those guys that drives so hard that it becomes really, really bad. But he does set a standard for you. And as a man at that age, you have a choice whether you want to meet that standard or not. And with the NFL, I believe that that method will work. I believe that if you say, hey, this is what our standard is. Yes, we're the Jacksonville Jaguars. No, we have not had a lot of recent success. However, this is the standard that we're trying to reach to. And if you're trying to reach the standard with us, you're going to show us and we're going to reach that standard or you're not going to be here. And I think that's as a player and I think as a staff, his rep, you know, if, he, if Charlie Strong is coming back, if he's got the, if he's got, if he goes and gets another staff like what he got when he was going into Bowling Green or what he had at Florida, I don't think the coaching staff is going to be a problem. I do wonder what NFL experience coaches he's going to have. Mm. But then you've got, you know, you do have guys like Zach Azani who 
is a guy that's in the NFL now that, you know, has been there for years that was a GA under Urban. So you do, he does have connections. I mean, that football, for, that coaching fraternity is so small, I expect him to come up with a bang-up staff of guys who's really ready to do the job. So what's the success for Urban? Like, I mean, you know, obviously he's got the number one pick. We're expecting Trevor Lawrence to be the number one pick. What's what's acceptable, like, in his tenure as uh, Jacksonville's head coach? Is it Super Bowl or bus or like, you know how we do in national championships with Ohio State. If you don't win a national championship as a head coach at Ohio State, your tenure was a failure. What's, what's something fair for Urban Meyer for us to expect? Well, I think first and foremost, I, I think the first thing that you can expect in year one is competency, right? I mean, the NFL is a different monster because, you know, you're not going to recruit five-star kids. You know, you're, you're like, you know, let's be real. I think that's the biggest difference between the NFL and the pros. Alabama, Ohio State, Schools like that, they're already playing at an advantage because they've simply got better kids, right? Mm -hmm. In the NFL, the the little things matter more. And the margin of error is a lot smaller. I do believe that Urban will, I think the first thing you're going to look for is competency, right? You know, we're not going to be looking at it for like the Bobby Bobby Petrino Atlanta situation where, you know, he was a horrible match from the beginning. I don't think, you know, you're not going to be looking. What you're going to be looking for is, is this Jacksonville Jaguar team, do they look good on the field? Last year, they did not look good. You know, they didn't look good at all. They just weren't, simply weren't a good football team. And a lot of that, is, a lot of that was just simply we don't believe in the coaching staff. They, they pretty much gave up on Doug Morrow. So the question is, you know, is he going to be able to get those guys to be, buy in, believe, because, you know, we, that's, a long, that's not a one-year project. He's not going to be in the playoffs next year or even the, the following year. The question is, does he, is he able to uh, set, a pro, set a culture in that, in that kind of like what Stefanski did with my, my beloved Cleveland Browns? There you go. Is he to, <laughs> there you go. If, if, Don't if rub it in. Is he going to be able to set a culture that guys buy into and believe in? I think that's the first thing. So, honestly, like, it could be a situation if, if they come in next year and he's able to, let's say they go 4-12, and 12, but they're, they've got maybe five, six, seven-point losses. Well, you know, that's, that, that's a win for them right now. That's a win for them right now. But I think it's also going to depend on, well, how does Trevor Lawrence develop? Because we all know he's taking Trevor Lawrence. I mean, we love Justin Fields. He's taking Trevor Lawrence. But how does he develop? How do what kind of weapons they put around him? I mean, that last regime was Coughlin and Marone. They stripped that team of all the talent. Ramsey's gone. Fournette's going to going to the NFC Championship game. Like they got rid of all of the young talent on that team. So the question is, you know, do they look competent on the field? And then how quickly can they reload that team in order to you know really compete in the AFC South? Bro, this is something I was reading online about this being a feeder system for Ohio State. Justin and I have been talking about this for a while, and you brought it up as well, about him being loyal to a fault. He can't just say, like, hey, just give me all your Buckeyes and come on down to Jacksonville. I got a job for you. So how is he going to play that? Because you know us, how we want people to be so loyal to the Buckeye Nation and so faithful. How is he going to play that to say, you know, hey, look at, he's got the number one pick. He can take Justin Fields, but we all believe that he's going to take Trevor Lawrence. 
how can he play both sides of the fence? Because he's played both sides of the fence basically with Ohio State and Florida the last couple years, like over a decade he's been doing that. So how is he going to play both sides of the fence, keeping Buckeye Nation happy as well as trying to win games with the Jacksonville Jaguars? I mean, he doesn't care about Buckeye Nation. <laughs> well, real quick, cause my, my big problem is why he – when he came out and said, I'm not going to gut the Ohio State coaching staff, and my problem with that is, well, that's not a killer instinct. Like, I love Urban Meyer, but that's not a killer instinct. The killer instinct is, hey, if I want to go take anyone off that damn Ohio State coaching staff, I'm going to go do it. I was like, where's the where's the killer instinct? But no, you're saying he, did, he don't want no dang Buckeyes. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, what, what, I'm, what, I'm saying is, what, what I'm saying is this. If there's a coach on Ryan Day's staff that he feels like is going to be successful at the next level, then he's going to take that coach. But if there is a co- – but at the same time, like you said, loyal to a fault. I, like he, he, I don't think he's going to gut the Ohio State football coaching staff, uh, you know, because he's got connections everywhere. He's got other guys that he can reach out to. You know, he's got guys he can reach out to. So I, do I think that he, there may be some Buckeyes that will show up uh, in free agency this year? Sure, there's going to be some Buckeyes that are going to show up. Will there may be a coach or two that will leave and wind up in Jacksonville? Sure, that's possible. That's possible. But I think we're talking about, you know, when you think about, when you say the name Urban Meyer, you're talking about one of the, you know, five best living coaches in college football history. He's got, he's got, he, I mean, the world is his oyster as far as who he wants to take as a staff. Because I'm quite sure, you know, Shaq Khan, the owner down there, is not, has, has not put a salary cap on his coaching staff. Mm. So he's going to get the best of the best of what he wants. Now, does that mean a Mick Marotti winds up leaving Ohio State? That's possible. Because I know he's been loyal to Mick. But the question is, does he want to go? That's another thing. Does he want to go? Was Mick, you know, was Mick also, at Bowling Green with you? No, he was not. The guy that we had was a guy named Aaron Hillman. And Aaron Hillman is a – I know I could see him having – he could maybe a reunion with Aaron Hillman. You know, Aaron Hillman was a heck of a strength and conditioning coach. Love Coach Hillman. And, you know, honestly, all of my love of 80s rock, it comes from Coach Hillman, you know, <laughs> in the ACDC in the weight room. Like, you know. I'm literally like, you know, I'm the probably, you know, people see a 40-year-old black guy singing along to Neverland, and they're like, what are you doing? But it's Aaron Hillman. <laughs> you know, you knew when you knew when you walked in, it was time to do that max bench rest or them that max squat reps, ACDC was going to be playing, and you were going to get down with that. So, you know, I, I you know, yeah, there's going to be some Buckeyes that play for Coach Meyer and are going to want to go to Jacksonville that are free agents. There's also going to be some coaches that, you know, that are going to come back in from, where he has been, you know, where can he come back in and, and do and Can he come back in and do what he does? I, I don't think that, you know, he's loyal to a fault. He's loyal to his guys. If you're one of Urban's guys, you will always be one of Urban's guys unless you do something Zach Smithish. Bro, we definitely appreciate it, man. Uh, you know, go ahead. Shout your stuff out, man. Shout out where you're working. Shout out your IG. Shout out everything, man. Um, you can always catch me on blank at, at blame JG on IG uh, and Twitter. I'm not as active on Twitter, much more on uh, IG. Uh, definitely catch me there. And, you know, I, I got some projects in the work, man. You know, some of the poetry stuff is picking back up 2021. Hopefully I'll release an album or two in a, in a book also. All right, good stuff again. John Gibson, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated. Take care. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a good evening. Later. All right, good stuff there again. John Gibson, a good friend of Kev's, played at Bowling Green from uh, 1997 to 2001 and was there when Urban Meyer took over the Bowling Green Falcons program and figured with your connection there, I wanted to at least find out, like, you know, Urban Meyer, 
not the Fox <laughs> analyst, <laughs> not the you know Urban Meyer show, uh, you, you know interview. I mean, Urban Meyer, the coach, and is it going to you know transcend into the NFL? I think it will. But again, I wanted to know what his style was like. You know, when he's laying into somebody. Yeah. You know, how do you turn that off and just all of a sudden become a calmer guy in the NFL? I don't know. We'll see. But if there's a guy to do it, I think the difference is like. You know, we talked about Petrino and guys like that. Like, did Petrino really own the room when he walked into it? I feel like Urban's going to have the respect. I think Urban's just one of those dudes that instantly has your respect. Yeah, because he did a lot of winning. A lot of winning. (laughs) Carried himself well on TV. He just looks the part. I just think that that's going to go a long way. That does matter, by the way. That does matter. That's why, you know, when I look at Zach Taylor, I just don't see him walking into a room and owning the dang thing. You know, say what you want. You didn't like Marvin Lewis, but Marvin Lewis, you felt when you were listening to him, you know, do an interview, he was a coach. He had control. Like, I think that goes a long way. Urban has that part. But how far into training camp, if there is one? How far into preseason, if there is one? How far into training camp does he get before guys say, all right, I can rock with him? And how far into training camp before guys say, oh, I know he's not going to talk to me that way again? Like, there are two different sides of that, and that's – we don't know. It's going to be a lot of chatter this offseason, but it could – it could take off in training camp, or it could blow up in training camp. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows how long this will last. I really wish John could have told you the uh, Dan Mullen story. That's a definitely off-air situation. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that's where we're heading now anyways. Hey, folks, I have a chance for you to win $10,000 on the other side of this little break that we're going to take here. Also, keep in mind, Urban Meyer's quarterback situation, it doesn't have to be Trevor Lawrence, and I damn sure don't want it to be Justin Fields. I want Deshaun Watson, and why shouldn't it be? But, Justin, they play in the same division. We'll discuss next. Well, Jason, I've got to tell you, you're pretty much everything this company is looking for in an entry-level candidate. Great. Your resume isn't quite what we're used to, but you've got a fantastic work ethic. Thank you. And I'm impressed by how you carry yourself. So, should we talk about the job? Uh, What? The job? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I have no way of recruiting or even meeting you. This interview didn't happen. It may sound ridiculous, and that's because it kind of is. There's a huge pool of talent your company is missing out on. Meet the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company All right, everybody, we welcome you back. Justin Kinner, Kevin Nash with you here on Dayton's ESPN radio station. We have Buckeye basketball coming up next. Ohio State-Purdue, 6.30 will be the tip-off, 5.45 the pregame, and that's coming up right here on 1410 ESPN radio, so keep that in mind. Uh, big thanks to John Gibson, who played at Bowling Green, came on to share stories about played for Bowling Green back in the late 90s into Urban Meyer's first year in 2001 with the Falcons and shared what it was like being a part of the transition of Urban Meyer taking over for his first head coaching gig. Uh, so really cool stuff stuff there that'll be on the podcast make sure you subscribe and download the justin kinner show podcast in your apple itunes and google play store uh you can listen to the show in its entirety as well as select segments and all interviews like we did with john gibson and even espn's jason fitz so keep that in mind as we sit here this afternoon i have one more opportunity for you to win a thousand dollars head to wingam.com it's the 1410 espn radio 10k payday Enter the winning word WORK, W-O-R-K. Enter the winning word WORK at wingam.com for your chance to win $10,000. Kev, parting words? 
Good show today, man. Uh, it was a long weekend. Obviously, the MLK holiday was yesterday. Uh, watched a couple documentaries on Dr. King. Obviously, get back into here to talk some sports with you. It's always a good time. And talking to my brother, John Gibson, man. Haven't talked to him verbally in a little while. Lots of text messages. So just to catch up with him is pretty cool, man. Obviously, always talking with Jason Fitz every Tuesday is a great time. Too bad we didn't win because we would have been in Cleveland for the NFL draft if the Browns would have won. That's See what happens fair. when I root to for the Browns? Fair, I don't think anyone's going to be in Cleveland for the NFL draft. So to be fair, I don't even think technically, you know, he might have got away with one. That's why he had the Browns one. Because yeah. he knew it wasn't going to happen. I truly, oh, guys, sorry. I mean, I would have, you know. it's You could offer anything when you know you don't have to pay it off. I'd have been real mad, like, if the NFL draft was in Vegas and the Browns would have won and we couldn't go. No kidding. Ain't that the truth? All right, folks, Ohio State basketball coming up. We'll get to our Deshaun Watson to the Jaguars with Urban Meyer conversation tomorrow's show. Again, Justin Kinner show with Kev Nash weekdays from 3 to 6. Buckeye basketball next. We worked with the Browns and the Bengals and um, the Columbus crew and worked with those guys to just talk through what were we, what were the processes we were going through, um, you know, because we had to create a safe environment. If we were blessed to be able to have any guests in the venue, how were we spacing them out? And so um, we had the opportunity to go actually visit um, up in Cleveland um, to First Energy Stadium and, you know, really see it live in action of how they were, you know, where they had signage and how they're spacing guests out and how they're checking in staff. And so, um, you know, we got to do a lot of that type of stuff and work through with um, everybody. So, yeah, it was a lot different. It was, you know, more signage. and But then under the microscope of trying to save a few bucks along the way and where we could use a body versus a sign and so that that was the bigger challenge of just having trying to figure out how to do it safely and then also in a cost-effective way too. Erica, just last week a limited number of family members were able to attend home games here at the shot. Does that change what you need to do event to event now? Um, a little bit. It just added, you know, we had to add in a few more staff members. Um, we needed to educate our staff members, we need to educate the guests. Um, so it was a new group because the only guests that we welcomed were just for football. You know, we had a lot of staff that was um, along for the ride in the fall and got to hear those conversations and knew what expectations were um, and what were set. And so it was great. We just had to educate our teams as well because, you know, basketball wasn't happening in October. Um, so, you know, just getting them up to speed of some those of us who had lived it and breathed it during the football season, um, getting those who were about to experience it for basketball and doing some other sports um, as well. So just educating everybody about what to expect was the biggest change. There are so many moving parts that you have to deal with from event to event, from the game day staff to officials to red coats. You know, we know the players and staff are tested, but how about, say, the game officials who typically work a number of games in obviously multiple states each week? Yeah, so for the Big Ten Conference, it is required for the basketball officials um, as well as hockey. And so what we're learning as we get new sports on boarding, you know, the, the policies and the rules are changing as we grow and we learn more as you guys all know in the world that there's new information there's new science behind all of it and so um a lot of the event staff that are down and close um to the play of action that are communicating with the officials closely um we're coordinating their testing and 
you know, everyone's super dedicated to our teams and to the university and have been um, real awesome. And this whole process, because you got to test the night before, you got to test the day of, and these folks have real jobs, and this is something that they're doing on the side. And so everyone's been very, very flexible and very cooperative in helping us out to be able to successfully put these games on so it's been great it's erica hoon assistant athletic director for event management at ohio state we appreciate everything you do okay thank you appreciate it coming up we'll run down your tuesday schedule from learfield img college this is the ohio state sports network presented by the james Hey, Buckeyes, some of us might be cheering from home this season. Maybe you've got the big TV and game time snacks, but no room to cheer. No sweat. You've got options. When you work with Rocket Mortgage, you see all your options right up front, from down payments to closing costs. It's easy to see what fits your budget. So, if you need a home big enough for your whole team, Rocket can. Get started at rocketmortgage.com. Rocket Mortgage, proud mortgage sponsor of Ohio State Athletics. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender license of all 50 states. NMLSConsumeraccess.org, number 3030. That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge-watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog, because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At the James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. Football's Archie Griffin for Encova Insurance. Much like in athletics, Encova Insurance relies on teamwork, accountability, and dedication to execute a successful game plan. With smart digital solutions, superior financial strength, and more, Encova provides a full range of insurance products to encircle businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. Contact your independent Encova insurance agent or visit Encova.com for more information. This, this is the Ohio State Sports Network from Learfield IMG College presented by the James. Ohio State and Purdue coming up at 6.30. Skip Mossick with a check of your Tuesday night scoreboard. Big Ten basketball. Other games this evening. Maryland in action at number 7, Michigan. The Wolverines won the first matchup three weeks ago by 11. Maryland coach Mark Turgeon's hoping for a better outcome tonight. Hopefully we've gotten better and they don't play quite as well. And, uh, you know, we can we can make it a game. But, uh, you know, we're, we're excited about You know, the, the bad thing about this league is it's everybody's really good. The great thing about this league is you got a chance to beat somebody really good every night. So, um, you know, it, it's, 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 it's tough as a head coach. You know, you try to just go one game at a time, but the opportunity's there almost every night to play a really, really high-quality team. And, you know, Michigan, to me, is the best team we've played all year. Later on tonight, Penn State will be at Illinois. Around the state, one game currently underway at the half. Kent State leads at home over Buffalo 47 
to 26. Coming up in just a bit, Miami hosts Ball State. Toledo welcomes in Central Michigan. Akron will be at Bowling Green. Top 25 action tonight. Sixth-ranked Tennessee is at Florida. Missouri welcomes in South Carolina. Third-ranked Villanova will play host to Seton Hall. And number 18, Alabama, they are at LSU. Two games in the NBA this evening. Cavaliers are off. They will host Brooklyn tomorrow. Eight games in the National Hockey League. Blue Jackets are at Detroit. Right now, let's pause 10 seconds for station identification from Learfield IMG College. This is the Ohio State Sports Network presented by the James. Buckeyes in Purdue coming up at 6.30 here in Columbus. Up next, Paul Keels will chat with Ohio State senior forward Kyle Young from Learfield IMG College. This is the Ohio State Sports Network presented by the James. Everyone's so busy keeping up. Forget about the Joneses. We all on our telephones with the texts and the tweets and the beats. What he said, she said, can't even follow the thread. Down the hole, we all go. Me? I like keeping up, too, with my corona and my attitude. That's La Vida Mas Fina. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer. Imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. At Farm Credit Mid-America, we're big fans of The Ohio State University's College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences. Together, we're developing the next generation of agriculture needed to support those who grow, harvest, and produce high-quality product and preparing them to rise up to the challenges of an evolving and growing industry. We're proud to stand behind them as we work together to empower future generations who have a passion for agriculture and a desire to secure its future. Learn more at e-farmcredit.com. Hey, Buckeye fans, AEP Energy is redefining the game with smart energy choices for your home or business. Take advantage of AEP Energy's renewable energy plans to protect the environment and protect your wallet from rising energy costs. Boundless choices, boundless commitment, boundless energy. Visit aepenergy.com slash OSU to get started. That's aepenergy.com slash OSU, the official electricity and natural gas sponsor of Ohio State Athletics. While an affiliate of AEP Ohio, AEP Energy is not soliciting on behalf of and is not an agent of the utility. I'm Maggie Griffin, and I'm working to end hunger in my community. I saw families with no access to fresh, healthy foods and knew I had to find a solution. At Ohio State, I connected farming and social work to build a solution from the ground up. And now, I deliver nourishing produce to my neighbors who need it most. All of this because I chose to be a Buckeye. Find out more at osu.edu stories. <laughs> 